now. Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder. I am the administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. And a Facebook group, I may add, that just started with, what, one person, Mr. Mm-hmm. Jim. Well, and actually, it started with 11, and I wasn't one of the first. How do you do that? <laughs> Somehow, Facebook doesn't consider the administrator one of the first. Oh, oh, that's not fair. Oh, I, know. I was like, you're just looking for a page that had like eight people and thought, no. hey, I'll and now, administer this one. <laughs> now, there are, what, thousands? Yeah, yeah we're over 8,000 now, so. Well, I had a uh, funny, <laughs> cute story this Aww. week. Uh, older lady came into the garden center, mm-hmm. and she lives in a high-rise, okay? <laughs> and But you can tell she pays attention because she's got, <laughs> typically, she's got plants out there uh, in containers. And, of course, you know, they all died You're with right. this last flash freeze that we had. And some of them were uh, trop- tropicals, of course, they're going to die. But some of them were hardy, um, hardy shrubs. And she said, you know what? I'm going to plant some forsythia up there. And I went, forsythia? Nice. I was like, why? Mm-hmm. She said, well, look around, Kenny. They're blooming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they made it. <laughs> and she was talking that she was going to get a dwarf forsythia uh, and put them in containers. Now, I did tell her, I said, look, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they do look great. And they made it through this winter unscathed, right? Mm-hmm. So we know how tough they are. But it's different from having forsythia in containers on the 12th floor mm-hmm. and having forsythias at ground level in the ground, you know? So I said, before we get too ahead of ourselves, <laughs> the right. same thing could have happened to the, to those forsythias that were in those containers up there on the 12th floor, mm-hmm. you know? So, right. but she's like, I don't care. I'm planting forsythia. Yeah. The only thing that would have really made it would be some of these um, evergreens that are so hardy, like the uh, blue rug juniper, the blue Pacific juniper. But we're not going to put that in our containers up on the 12th floor. Yeah, unless yeah, you want something very low growing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's some deciduous plants that would have been all right that will survive that. Mm-hmm. Maybe forsythia. Yeah. But yeah, it's, forsythia is, is beautiful for about two weeks. Right. <laughs> I know. You know, and even the little ones, what the little Bo Peep or something yep. like that is the and, real And she dwarf said she was going to put a dwarf up, up yeah. there. Yeah. It's. Um, it's a nice addition to a garden, but it's kind of not really a focal plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like I said, and I said, now you also know that in the wintertime, you know, it's going to drop its leaves. You're going to have just sticks out there. She said, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, she was just. She wanted some blooms right now. Well, but she early. was just so impressed that it's blooming now. And, and she was so impressed that it made it just unscathed. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, we talked about the whole thing being in containers. Mm-hmm. So that is a hard you know, kind of pill to swallow, you know, up on the 12th floor, you're way up there. The wind's blowing all the time. Mm -hmm. It's definitely colder up there than it is at ground level. And you are trying to grow things in containers. So because even us on the ground, our stuff died in containers, too. So on the 12th floor, same thing. I mean, so, you know, it it might be just one of these things where, you know, if we have a very mild winter, of course, Mm -hmm. things typically make it up there. But she might be just planting things up there as annuals, to be honest with you, you know, and yeah. don't expect them to make it through mm-hmm. a winter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Unless it was just like a normal winter. Yeah, where exactly. We don't have flash freezes and 
three flash freezes in a season kind of thing. But I was thinking, yeah. you know, that that is a real thing because people do live in these high rises and they all, you know, typically have balconies up there. Right. And they do want things that are green even in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, we had one guy that landscaped his balcony somewhat in cast iron plants, junipers, things like that. Cast iron plants fared. I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, they look horrible right now. Back. Right. Yeah, just going to cut them back. So that'll be good. So, yeah. Else? Yeah. It's a, you don't really think about being on the 12th floors in envi- different environments. No. I've got euchre in a couple of pots on my front porch, and they're coming, you know, they got burned, mm-hmm. but they're coming right back out yeah, now. Good. So. Mine is too. I had blue point junipers and hooker on one point, and half the side of the blue point juniper because it was facing toward where the wind was is brown, and the other half's green. And then the hooker all died back, but then there's little winds coming out. Well, Same, and then yeah. I was talking to another lady, and this is going to be devastating if it's if it's true. Is you know she's got a beautiful landscaped backyard, not huge, but it's it's really nice landscaped. But she also has these strategically planted red tip votinas that have been there for about 20, 25 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And they're beautiful, mm-hmm. but she's got them there as a screen to block off what's beside her. Okay. And of course they look like toast mm-hmm. as we all know. And they are a, you know, a thin skinned, you know, evergreen shrub. So has do, anybody checked? Yeah, them? that's what that was my yeah. question. Do we know anything about red tip votinas? No, I suspect they're going to be burned back hard, but they're probably going to resprout. <laughs> of course, they will. Um, <laughs> you know, I've checked camellias this week, and the the big trunks are pretty much um, green, pretty viable. Okay. Yeah, I think so. They're going to resprout. You know, one thing I thought was odd. I have a, a usabini white that is looks unfazed. It's the only sasanqua. That still retained its leaves. Wow. The other Interesting. 11 or so I've got on the front all dropped their foliage. So yeah. it's, um, well, I think that's a, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> but she made the comment. She said, I can see these things like Jim was saying. Mm-hmm. I have to cut these things down, you know, six feet off the ground. And they're 25 foot yeah. now. And I can just see the tops of people's heads next door just walking <laughs> oh, no. back and forth. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, so it, it, it serves, it's, it's. It, it's a privacy, mm-hmm. you know, natural privacy fence. And she's just scared to death that she's going to lose it. And I re- I'm like you. I think on these Fotinas, we're going to see some damage out there. Yeah. Now, how much? We don't know yet. You, I never knew there were so many Fotinas still left in the landscape. I didn't either. Because yeah. you can tell that the bur- you can tell the burned ones. Um, so now I'm seeing the Cryptomeria. They're still hanging out, being brown. And the red tip Fotinas. They're still having issues. These are things I can see in mass driving through that you don't realize those were still planted on the fatinias, though. And the cryptomeria is one of my favorite evergreens. And I was talking to Dale Skaggs the other day at the Dixon, and I was asking him about cryptomeria in particular. And they've got tons of cryptomeria on the grounds at the Dixon Gallery and Gardens. And they look like everybody else's, mm-hmm. right? Well, Starting Monday, they're going to go in there and start taking a lot of these cryptomeria down. Are they really? But like he said, is yes, they might come back out. We'll have Mm -hmm. to wait and see. But if they do, it's going to be extremely slow. And they just can't afford to have dead-looking trees in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that exactly right. That's you know? the same with like things that we have planted at the garden center. 
I'm like, well, you can't. That's not motivating for no. people to come walking around looking at the fountains. And we have some nice little plants here and there. And then they look up and see the dead arborvita, the dead or the bad looking camellia, even though it looks like eh, maybe it'll make it. I'm going to just have to change it. Yeah. And like Dale was saying, mm-hmm. no, it's never, ever, ever good to have evergreen needled trees lose their foliage <laughs> or, you know, not have that green foliage in the wintertime. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just that's not a good thing. So we, you know, I think a lot of them are going to come back. I honestly hope so. We don't know yet, but I do know it's going to be very slow. It's going to be a slow process. Yeah. Do you think they're going to come back funny looking, though, if they I come back? I don't know. Back? You and know, like half thing. a trunk or half a side? Well, I think they're going to appear much thinner because the internal foliage is gone, and they're not going to mm-hmm. replace that. It's just going to be tip mm-hmm. foliage. So mm-hmm. they're going to look a little unusual for at least a couple of years until they fill out. Huh. I wonder what the Botanic Garden's going to do. We'll have to find that. But, so are we going to go back with those? Are we going back with red cedars everywhere, yeah. you know? I mean, I, I think we should. I think so. Yeah. I mean, this is, in all of my years, I've never seen a flash freeze that severe. I hadn't either. Okay. Uh, and I think that's uh, an anomaly we hope. Very yeah. unlikely to happen again. Right. Yeah, because, so. you know, we, we still we do that now. We go, oh, remember in 1876. 2023. When the, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's a funny scenario because I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. I won't give his name. But he was like, I'm not going to be in a hurry to plant. He said, because mm-hmm. what if, and, and it doesn't sound like he was going to replace a lot of stuff because he said, what if the same thing happens next winter? And I'm thinking, well, well you know, mm-hmm. we li- do live in Memphis, Tennessee, and anything can happen on any winter right. that we have. But that would never, ever be a reason for me not to plant my landscape because fearing that it could happen next year, it could happen 10 years, it could happen 30 years from now. We don't know. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to continue to talk about the plants. And if you all want to ask us questions or just share your experiences with us, give us a call on plants anyway. Give us a call on (laughs) 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're here just talking about freeze damage on plants and all of that. So um, we were down to the cryptomerias. You know, I'm going to replant cryptomerias. Even the little dwarf ones had some burn on them. Saw some uh, black, did I have black dragon cryptomeria? Yeah, I saw a little burn on those two. But the ones that, these were in the greenhouse, but they were, Um, on the outside inside of the greenhouse on the outer walls not touching the plastic but some of the things on the outer walls like that first uh shrub Mm -hmm. was burned back and then as you go in everything was fine so we'll see how those go too because you know how we always say oh evergreen plants evergreen plants they'll just take this winter no problem which is it's true but now this year i'm going oh evergreen plants didn't didn't like these containers good lord you know it just it's kind of like to me you know, basketball, you know, you you don't want to lose two games in a row, right? Right. Well, you surely don't want to have two winners in a row like this. Because mm-hmm. if you do, people are going to just give up yeah. on planting their landscape. Or they're going to go to the most Forces. northern Forces. type plant you can plant. They're just going to go with forsythias. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, talking to a lady this yesterday, uh, you know, we, you know, we always think that hollies, and I'm talking about, the, you know, the bigger hollies, are completely indestructible. And honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, in my mind, they are. I mean, you can't kill a holly. Think about it. No matter what, cut it. In no, half, I cut mean, it you just can't down. kill the yeah. things. 
So, and hers were um, Mary Nails, and she's got a lot of them on this landscape. I mean, a lot of them even are lining this long drive going up to this big open area, and they don't have a leaf on them. And she said, Kenny, a lot of these stems in there look completely black. Yeah. And that was the same thing, you know, that we've been saying, you know, since this happened is, yes, there's going to be damage out there. And, And, you know, we have to be patient. We have to wait and see what flushes out. We'll know at that time what to go in there and hopefully just selectively clean up and cut out. Mm-hmm. And she said, I can live with that if I don't have to go out there and cut these things down. Right. You know, so. Well, like the thing with the flash freezes, like our plants start beginning to become internally hardy. Mm-hmm. You know, usually the freezes um, are because the ice inside the plant is is breaking and it's the shards are tearing and all of that. But but a lot of plants have that natural defense to go up to a certain that degree. internal antifreeze. Yeah, and it didn't have time to build up its defenses, and that's what I've been trying to explain to a lot of people is they're not understanding what happened. Even when you say there was a, a forty degree temperature drop, they're still not quite understanding what that means, and and it's just our plants didn't have their defenses built up. But I wonder mm. why the Mary Nail, Jim. Have you heard anything in particular about that well, particular I, one? Uh, it's not just those uh, oak leaves. Okay, uh, pretty Which much all of what we call the red hollies. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, have been just had all the foliage knocked off of them. Looking at the one that's at my house, it's the first inch or so of buds are blackened but beyond that they're green and i think they're going to pop and fill back out good uh but again i don't think it it will be it'll be a year or two before they're full like they were before Mm. well let's let's go to jim in millington good morning jim you're in the mid-south garden good morning how are y'all hey jim good morning to you buddy we're great I just want, let me, let me, before I get to my question, let me tell Jim one thing that uh, I did not have a live Christmas tree. We didn't put poinsettias in our house this year, and it was the first year my wife wasn't sick. <laughs> well, there you there go. go. <laughs> Long time listener there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I kept telling her, I'm going, I don't know why you're sick. And then I heard, you know, and then, and she told me she was going to give me a t shirt that says WWJD on it, which would, what would Jim do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, you know, anyway, let me, my, my, my daughter, my daughter has two dogs that kind of like, on, they're, they're horse size. Oh, you yeah. Know what I mean? Yes. Her her backyard has no grass in it at all. Now. Oh, yeah. Is there anything in the this area that she could plant that could maybe have some greenery in it that the, they wouldn't destroy completely? I mean, like long-term, like a lawn? Yeah. Talking about, okay. Or or any, you know. Just I a, would say I mean, not known. And it's half and half. It's shady in one area and sunny in the other. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. How much sun do you get? It's like there's really nothing. I've always, when I had big dogs, I let them set their pattern and then did my landscape around where uh, in ways of where they ran. Mm. Or you can come up, you know, use your grass, Mm. but then you'll have to just redo their paths constantly. But there's nothing Unless, what about ground covers, y'all? Is no, there some, nothing no, that you, you really, that kind of weight. Yeah, yeah. you need yeah. grass yeah. out there, Jim. And, of course, in the sunny areas where you typically see Bermuda or Zoysia. And, you know, yeah. if you keep it just as healthy as you can, and of course, they're going to tear some of it up, no doubt about it. But it's going to stand up to that foot traffic. 
better than anything else. What, grass will? The grass, yeah. Now, in the shady area, that's where it gets a little tricky because depending on what you mean by shade, if you're getting enough sun to support zoysia, which is at least three or four hours of good, strong sun, I would go, yeah. with, I would go with zoysia up under there. Now, if you're not getting at least three or four hours of good, strong sun, of course, that zoysia is not going to make it long term, so you've got to go with some type of fescue. And they will right. beat that fescue, gym to death. But yeah. at least you'll have something which is better than completely nothing. Yeah. yeah so, that's what, yeah. So they're... That's pretty they're, much nothing right now. Oh, because they just tear up the entire yard. They just run all over the whole yard. Is that... And she's got yeah. two of them. Yeah. Mm, two that of is them. T- yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's well, a it, tough one. Yeah, I mean, I that's hear you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in, in the sh- I mean, you can go ahead and sow some fescue, of course, in those shady environments if you don't get enough sun for that zoysia. Now, what I would say, Jim, is what I would tell her, even in the more yeah. shaded environment, if you can get in there and thin some trees out to create enough light for zoysia. And the reason I'm saying that is zoysia is going to hold up to that foot traffic a whole lot okay. better than that fescue would. Mm-hmm. What grass so, well, did y'all have before? Oh, I, 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 this is her house. I, yeah. was just, I was just talking to her yesterday, and uh, she was like, going, there's nothing but mud, you know. And yeah. Let me, let me call the expert, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm up anyway. So. Right. <laughs> well, and then the, the other thing, Jim, that you can think about in telling her is especially in, you know, in the shaded environment, you know, whether it's under a tree or whether it's been shaded by another house or a shed or whatever, yeah. you know, she can put a nice layer of pine straw down and, um, you know, it doesn't look too bad, to be honest with you, especially up under these trees. You know, you use it like a mulch. Uh, it's very airy, so it dries out really fast. And at least, you know, you're not going to have huge horse or, or dog paws coming in, you know, just full <laughs> yeah. of mud every time they come back yeah. in the house. That's a good idea, too. Yeah. You know? I, I told her the Brady Bunch uh, grass, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, Brady, the Brady Bunch grass. They had turf on their backyard. Oh, yeah, did they? That's funny. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> and, and the last thing, Jim, and, and most people would never do this, but there are, yeah. you can get artificial turf to put back there. Now, it's, you know, it's it's not. I, I was kidding, but. <laughs> it's not cheap, but no, no. I mean, you go out west on California and places like that around these hotels, it's nothing but artificial turf. Huh. Yeah, um, and it's upgraded. There's some artificial turf that looks really oh, good. Oh, God, they look great. Yeah, not. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. But actually, there is artificial turf now that's made for um, dog pens or places that have dogs because it's got charcoal blended in but, with it, so it helps yeah. with the urine smell. But and their all, dog so. pen is their backyard, right? You know? But it's it's the whole the whole. Uh, you could do the whole yard in it or just areas in it. So yeah. the artificial turf's really beginning to be upgraded. Not that so, I would so still want to. I, I gave her some good advice then, right? <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> well, Jim, give me a call next year. I'm going to give okay. you a free Christmas tree, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all have a good day. Thanks, Thank Jim. You. Thanks for calling in. What would Jim do? The T-shirt. Yeah, I love it. I like it. Oh, but, but I, uh, it is. I hate not being able to have a, a live Christmas tree in the house. And I tell you, it's it is a real deal. Mm-hmm. So many people, like Jim just said, every Christmas, you know, somebody in the family would come down ill, mm-hmm. and you know, we blame it on a cold or you know the flu mm-hmm. or whatever. And then, lo and behold, it comes out. It's the spores in the Christmas tree, the live yeah. trees that they're bringing inside. It's making them sick. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, I wonder if I could just spray it off really good. I don't know. What if we sprayed? Um, 
What's that but like stuff? Wilt proof? The wilt proof. Yeah, to it would hold probably the, it would help, it would probably help encapsulate. I'm trying. I'm stretching it really hard here because I want to have a live Christmas tree inside, and I just thought, well, maybe if we sprayed them. Well, now, if you're Jim, not being getting sick. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I don't, but somebody else does. Now, what about the poinsettia, though? The poinsettia's not going to get anybody <laughs> sick, no. is it? Yeah. No. It's just that no. Christmas tree that was doing it. Yeah, it's just, you know, you and I kind of share the same thoughts about poinsettia. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not. One, Jim, Jim always likes to say one quick snap at ground level. Yeah. They're easy to, they're so delicate, though. And I love you know? poinsettias, honestly, in the house during Christmas. I still I have it. my Jingle Bell poinsettia in a little mini pot, a two-inch pot. Well, see, it's people like you that, that, that that's the problem. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> right after Christmas, they need to go away. And, you know, I water it, I set it in a wine glass. No. Just enough, just enough to hold that little two-inch pot up. You can't water a little two-inch pot. You have to soak it, emerge it. Terrible waste of a wine glass. <laughs> and let me say this real quick. You know, we were talking but about. But I have 20s. So, there you know. go. <laughs> <laughs> Around the house. <laughs> no. um, talking about the grass with Jim. I mean, grass is going to be the best thing. But but it's, it's, it's hard because if you're trying to establish Bermuda or Zoysia in the sunny area that Jim's daughter has, you still are, you, the dogs are still going out there. Whether you're putting down seed or sod, you know, you would love to keep everybody off until it's mm-hmm. established. Well, that can't happen. Right. And then in the shady area, like there again, depending on the shade, um, Bermuda's not going to grow there. It needs at least six hours of sun. And the most shade-tolerant zoysia on the market has still has to have three to four hours of sun. Well, maybe it's not as detrimental as I was thinking because it's mud. There's nothing there now. So maybe when you get something there, the dogs aren't going to tear it up as much. Yeah, maybe like not. Saying. We'll be right back, 901-260-5926. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM, KWAM. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad y'all can join us today. I'm Vader with Palladio Garden in Memphis. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Damas Garden Centers. And I'm Jim. (laughs) (laughs) So a priest, a rabbit, (laughs) and a minister walked into the bar. Y'all know y'all know this one. The bartender asked the rabbit, what do you have? The rabbit said, I don't know. I'm only here because of autocorrect. I didn't get it. Minister, a rabbit. (laughs) So apparently when you're trying to type rabbi, autocorrect comes up rabbit. uh, See, I thought you said a rabbit was sitting at a bar. It was. I did. But Right. Uh, But uh, I got it. Yeah. Just testing, Kenneth, testing, testing. Please call. Give me some <laughs> relief here. Well, and let me say this also. We had a lot of fun right. last weekend. Uh, uh, Jan Dickey was in here, the new president of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. And, of course, Jan and Jamie Childers. And uh, who's the young lady that was in here with Jan? It's a real sweet lady. Anyway, it was great having Debbie. Debbie. It was Debbie. good having them up here. Um, and I really think that the Memphis Area Master Gardeners is in really good hands. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed them. Yeah, being me too. Up here. So were, that's, they, and um, you know, they just kind of keep up with these guys, you know, and, and you can look at your Memphis area master gardener calendar and see what events and everything that are coming up. 
It's going to be a fun spring and summer. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah, I think so, There's too. a lot of things planned that are coming up. Well, on the houseplant topic, of course, I've been talking about how we moved our garden center over to the um, other side with the rest of the showroom. And the other all side of, that. of what? Cox Avenue. Huh. Not Central. Not another location. We're all in the same place. But you moved from where you were. Yeah, just so Central Barbecue is going to put their stuff in that building but with the house plants and all of course I had ficus trees the fiddle leaf the the benjamin uh, lots of house plants and we moved them when the temperature was below 45 mm-hmm. and uh it, I mean some of the big ones they were uh, they just bunched them together on the forklift and we tied them down and we drove them over I haven't and that's been 10 days ago mm-hmm. And so far, nothing's stressed. But no they, leaves have dropped off the ficus, anything. But they so weren't exposed that long to that no, cooler no, weather. No, I mean, they, they just went to a whole total different like, location. And, and we all know. know, especially when it comes to the old-fashioned ficus tree, I mean, mm-hmm. if you just kind of cut your eyes wrong at that thing, yeah. it'll start dropping leaves. Right. Or if you pick it up move it to the, you know, the other side of the place. But these just, they're fine. They made mm-hmm. it fine. Ten days, I think that's probably enough time mm-hmm. for them to decide whether... They want to lose all their leaves. And see, when I was growing up, it was just always the, the ficus tree. You know, the smaller-leaved Benjamin yeah, uh, yeah. ficus. You know, it's just what it was. And then came the fiddle-leaf fig, mm-hmm. uh, or fiddle-leaf ficus, which has that much bigger leaf, very tropical-looking, great-looking tree, I'm telling you. And every magazine that you opened, you would see a fiddle-leaf fig in, in there. And then the Audrey fig mm-hmm. uh, is kind of taking its place so, and they're all three great guys. I love them all. But I'm telling you, I, I like that Audrey Fig. Yeah, though, I do Beta. too. They, they're real architecturally pretty. And you can see the, the shape of them and the limbs of them. Much bigger more. leaf on them. Yeah. Well, the smaller on the Audrey. Yeah. And um, what was I going to say? Like, I've got some that are 11 feet tall. Good wow. Lord. Yeah. Because since the, we can get taller since the building's taller. Because on the other side, our, they were hitting the ceiling practically. So we At had 11 to, foot. Yeah. yeah. So we had to change out. But so I mean, it's like a big tree. But what know? are the do's and don'ts of a ficus? I mean, you know, we always hear and we always tell people, we always warn them when they buy a house plant, the first thing they want to do is overwater that mm-hmm. thing. Well, on first a consistent thing you basis. do is tell, tell it when you get it home. You actually talk to the ficus and explain to him the, the issues. Yeah. And, you know, if they know the rules before they get to the house. And just make sure no one's watching when you're doing that. Right, right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but when it comes to houseplants, I'm telling you guys, people, and, the, and they kill them with tender love and care. They, they're trying to do the right thing, honestly, mm-hmm. but, but they're creating the problem. And typically, that is keeping these houseplants just entirely too wet. Now, another thing that I've seen on, on some houseplants depending on the grower that you buy them from, and we get them, maybe you and I both get them from really good growers, but I've seen houseplants in horrible soil, right. you know, from day one. Uh-huh. And so you're already behind the eight ball trying to keep yeah. these things alive with this heavy soil that they, uh, some of these growers put them in. So you, you want to get houseplants, good quality houseplants from a good referenced grower mm-hmm. or a retail yeah. outlet to start with. That's true. And then when you do get them home, guys, put them in, try to put them in the right spot, but stay away from the water in can every now and then, you know, especially during the winter months. You yeah. don't have to water as much. I see so many people that put them in side of glazed containers where they don't drain. They don't realize mm-hmm. that when they water, that water's building up in the bottom and starts and to root And it looks rot. great. Yeah. You know, so you got to 
if you're setting a container in there, water it, and then 20 minutes or so, lift that plant out, dump out any mm-hmm. extra water so it's not sitting in there. Um, that's the biggest killer I, I see, particularly as it, the first one to react are peace lilies. Uh, they'll mm-hmm. just start to collapse mm. from root rot. Uh, so, so you add more water in there, right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. So when they don't wilts, look like they're wilting. That's your first yeah. inclination. Yeah. So you want to be very careful about that. But and, and Veda always hits on something that's real important. People tend to water in the same place and only get a section of the mm-hmm. soil moist, and mm-hmm. that's that's so wrong. You mm-hmm. got to get water dispersed all the way around the plant. Right. And then when you're putting your moisture meter in, you seem to put it in the same place you water. Of course water. you do. So you've that one half or that quarter is wet, and the whole three quarters of the other side is dry, but you right. think it's wet. But typically speaking, wouldn't you say, I mean, just typically speaking, most house plants, no more than once a week. Right, right. You know, and make sure. Unless they're small, yeah. And, and it, well, right. I mean, I know there's mm-hmm. exceptions, but overall, and then well-drained, since um, soil, well-drained containers, like Jim saying, if you do have a container that's in a container that doesn't drain, you can't let it set in that water. The bottom part of that root system is going to rot on you. Well, Jim, speaking of the saucers and, and like where you've got a pot with no hole and, and then you set it in there, water, right. you know. So here's something that had happened, too. We had a, a pot that the plant could fit in just, just right, um, not potted. And, yeah. you know, we're just using it to hold the plants up right now. Kind of hope that they look good together. But so you've got the pot with no drainage hole. Then you stick a saucer, a plastic saucer in there. And you know how you can put your plant in there and push down and that mm-hmm. saucer will mold mm-hmm. around the pot? The bottom of the pot. Right. Sure. Well, this molded around the five-gallon container and allowed uh, no air. So you it's know, kind of sealed like, up the yeah, bottom of that pot. Bottom. So even though we weren't overwatering by the moisture meter, it still was not having air flow and allowing that little bit, you know, the water, the uh, soil to dry out, actually. So that was, I figured that one out, you know, because I just was thinking we're not, I, I watch them water. Nobody's just glunk, 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 yeah. you know, the water jug. I mean, if anything, they're going to be underwatered. So um, well, watch then, little things like that. Well, and then another thing, you know, people do from time to time, repot their house plants by default because the container that they bought it in a lot of times they're already root bound anyway you know mm-hmm. but i always tell people you do want to wait till spring uh, ideally before you go in there and start bumping these up to a bigger pot but the other thing that we tell people is don't go out and buy the two dollar bag of potting soil it does you no good whatsoever i promise you I'm not saying you got to get the most expensive potting soil, but you got to get a good, high-grade, quality potting soil. Because think about it, guys. These houseplants are not going anywhere. They're in the pot we put them in. You know, and that root system, it, it's the root system that you have. Yeah. So you want to do everything you can to stimulate good root growth. But the key, though, is to have a potting soil that actually holds some moisture, but at the same time, it drains. Mm-hmm. You know, and we see so many times where people are getting this heavy, heavy potting soil. It costs $2 a bag. It's cheap, okay, but it's cheap for a reason. Right. And their houseplants are struggling. They're suffering in this kind of uh, uh, median that they're in. So spend a few extra dollars to get that good, high-quality potting soil when you're repotting these houseplants. Well, last weekend Mm -hmm. I did the talk for how to water and care for your houseplants. It was it was great, and there was a lot of uh, new introductions of plants and this thing that I got called Mister, 
and it is so fun. It's just fun to miss. <laughs> it's fun to miss now, like your air plants. Was that a battery you know, operated or? Yeah, battery operated. Uh, no, I'm sorry. You charge it on in a USB a, USB a, USB port. Charge it that way. But like on your air plants, and you're trying to take one of those squirt bottles and trying to aim it and get it and turn it. This one, you just push the button and you're just nice and misting and then you can set it on your shelf like like if you've got little plants around you can set it on your shelf and just let it do its misting uh it's a good way to clean the leaves off the oh, plants sure. yeah so uh now, that now, was fun now what about a maidenhair fern guys do y'all have uh, any secrets on how yeah. to keep those things healthy and even alive indoors yeah mm-hmm. nope, nope. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> can't help you there <laughs> when uh, i know right well like for us we don't have it set up like this yet but where i put the um what ferns were we talking about the, the main hair ferns was next to our water feature so you could feel and then when the heat would come on the heat would hit the water feature or even the air conditioning no it was just i noticed it with the heat and right in that little spot you could walk through and you feel feel the humidity humidity, yeah and then walk right out of it immediately but just long as that little spot so that's where we displayed those ferns and they were fine but if we Mm. moved them away like jim said Mm. no yeah. No. <laughs> well, it because, and I know we got to go to a break, but I was talking to a lady yesterday and she actually bought a couple maidenhair ferns and she said, Kenny, what's the secret in keeping these things alive? Mm-hmm. And I said, as soon as you find out, you let me know. Yeah. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So uh, Jim's going to be talking about water gardens in a couple of weeks yep, there. On the 4th. On the 4th. Uh-huh. Yep. We'll talk more about all that, but let's go to a break and y'all can watch us on Facebook Live or give us a call, 901 260 5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad you could be with us this morning. Yeah, so the Mr. Misters, that's what they're talking That's what now, I was talking but about. But you there. said you charge it up with a USB. So yeah. it is, it's, I mean, it's battery operated then, but you just charge it with is that. Is there a battery in a USB yes. cord? Oh, yeah. No, I don't know. It's, not, it's just that not a little gasoline engine in, in there. And you just plug it in. Oh, and it charges the battery. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of double A batteries. And how often would you go, I mean, is there a set time when you uh, missed your plants once a week or yeah 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 it's kind of for me there's for us there's really no strategy you're just it's kind of because i want to mostly it's to keep our moss moist yeah. you know when we do moss things to keep the air plants moist or just just to sprinkle their leaves to wash some of the uh yeah stuff off that's on there well and, and you create a using that spray glow and saturating those leaves with it and they're all nice and shiny but it's not really taking the dirt off but it looks like the dirt's gone yeah like a leaf shine but but you're still creating humidity which is great because there again this time of year we're running our heat and plants need a certain amount of humidity. They really do. That's why some plants suffer. You can do everything mm-hmm. just right. House plants I'm talking about. <laughs> if you don't have the right amount of humidity uh, in there, they're just not. You're going to get some burn mm-hmm. on that foliage. Yeah. No, we're not changing the humidity tremendously, but we're just giving it a little extra, little extra boost. And I see like a lot of the younger kids mm-hmm. coming in, and they're, I'm asking them bring pictures. You know, I want, mm-hmm. I want to see what you're doing. 
And they, I mean, they've got like the glass shelves up and the lighting up and they've got uh, humidifiers sitting in many different places and they've got hanging baskets with long trailing things going over the window. They're literally landscaping inside. So they're changed, kind of like you did in your garage in your bird room. Yeah. (laughs) You're changing the entire thing, your entire environment. And, And you know, and we've been around this business long enough. There are always trends, okay? I mean, remember years ago, it was the outdoor kit. Kitchen. You know, people oh, were yeah, building the yeah. outdoor kitchens with the grill and and then of course, you know, adjoined to the swimming pool and all the rock. So it was a it was the outdoor living room is mm-hmm. what it was. And then of course water gardening. You know, that's mm-hmm. been one of those trends. Now they I'm not saying they, they don't they're not a fad. They stick around forever. But I'm telling you, right now, really in the last two or three years, it's been houseplants. Mm-hmm. And the, and like you just said, Vade and Jim's already Jim's already done this. Is they designate rooms to house plants? I was talking to a lady a couple of weeks ago, and she was in buying a house plant, believe it or not. And I asked her, I said, "Well, how many do you have?" She had no idea how many she mm-hmm. had because she had that many. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. And they and but I tell you the difference though. A lot of these people that are house plant connoisseurs, and it seems like a lot of people are now. They are doing the research and trying to figure out mm-hmm. and find out how to take care of these things. Mm-hmm. The I mean, knowledge is now you can research to find stuff out. Well, I had a guy come in, and this just shows you. Because <laughs> house plants is probably my weakest link. And Jim, Veda, he came in, he said, uh, I need a string of watermelons. And I went, well, <laughs> we've got the seeds against the wall over there. And he looked at me, <laughs> and I looked at him. So, you know, when I was growing up, there was like a string of pearls, which mm-hmm. was a house plant, right? Uh, well, there's a string of dolphins, a string of mm-hmm. turtles. I've never heard of a string of watermelons yep, string in my life. They're so, just a little bit uh, more elongated than a string of pearls. Oh, I mean. Which I, looks like a string of peas to me. And so, I mean, I heard watermelon. <laughs> somebody gives so me a green I always pearl. escort him to the seeds. Yeah, that's you know? so funny. And you're thinking, I don't know what he means by string yeah, of watermelon. Yeah, but I mean, he'll see the watermelons the, and he'll pick right, out. Then y'all will be fine. Y'all, I cracked up. I couldn't. <laughs> I mean, I was like, what? A string mean? of turtles. String of hearts. Yeah. yeah. And now, now, and, now, and they, now a string of watermelons, which I've never heard of. Right. Until the other day. And then, and then Ferd Heckel was behind me, the owner of Dan West, and he uh-huh. said, Kenny, you got one over here. Oh, he knew what it was? Yes, and we You're had like, one. Why do you know what that is? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> and the Hoyas, too. Boy, there's so many ver- more varieties out there available. But houseplants are the big deal, I'm telling you. And, and, and I, I like that because they really do... In my opinion, now everybody's got their own opinion, but I really think they do soften up the rooms of a mm-hmm. house. Yeah, when you see them, they, they do the serotonin boost. Yeah, you know, I think it's mostly an attitude adjuster. Yeah, that's a good way. Makes you feel better. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. Just like nature. That's you know, right. yeah. I, you know, rather be outside. Yeah, so and if I can Being able to bring them in is an important thing. And, you know, I've got all of mine right now packed into what was the bird room. Uh, and in fact, I posted a picture of camellia. I've got I wintered three camellias inside the, oh, there, so um, they are, they look great. They're in bloom. Um, Good lord! But I, they nothing has been watered in about five weeks. Uh, Hold and, on! Yeah, until this week. I have a heater set up in there that's set to come on if the floor temperature gets to about forty-two degrees. So <laughs> you know, it seldom comes on in the garage because I have a. Uh, Years ago, I put one of the insulated garage doors on 
which really retains the heat inside. So that's a perfect, perfect, it's it's perfect place. They're doing fun, you know, and uh, things like uh, plumeria. I've got in there. I've got uh, palms. I've got citrus. I've got a world of succulents. Uh, and they just, because of the constant temperature, they just don't need to be watered much. Mm-hmm. So it's been, I think, five weeks since I actually pulled anything out and watered. Well, kind of going back to what we said a while ago about people overwatering. Now, that doesn't mean that you can wait five weeks with a house plant indoors no. your house because the temperature is going to be a yeah. lot warmer oh, in there. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Wow. But, you know, <clears throat> every plant's needs are different. You know, and as much as cute mister is there, it's not a substitute for humidity. Right. It's moisture. That's right. That's right. You know, and things like moss, air plants, they need that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, it's, it's kind of a cute idea. I like that. Of course, yeah. you know, if I were misting mine with that little thing, I'd be a week. No <laughs> way. You have got to see it. When you come up there for a water garden thing, when you see the, it's okay. crazy. I, I'm it really, really impressed shoots it out. with this. I'm really impressed now, with Now, do y'all it. sell those, Veda? Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do. But And it puts out a lot of water. I'm thinking I'm going to be seeing the crew walking around with misters in their pockets in the summer. Cool and, oh, and, and, and a little fan on their yeah. cap. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like a little gun belt, you know, you right. got everything on that belt to hold. All right. And then the last thing on these houseplants, you know, we typically feed our houseplants during the growing season. And that's really when the days start getting a little longer, you know, uh, spring, summer, and really through the fall. We typically don't need to feed our houseplants in the winter. Now, we've all heard that we've all read that forever. When they say you typically don't need to plant them in the winter, is it detrimental if we do feed them in the winter? Yeah. Or Jim, do they really need to go through that little resting, you know, Mm -hmm. they're not actively growing. They're not not growing, Mm -hmm. but they're not actively growing like they do in the spring, summer, and fall. So they're saying just other than water right now, leave them alone. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't want to force a lot of growth during the winter months right. because they, they just plants, want to rest. All plants go through a period of dormancy, whether they are in the tropics right. or, you know, in more temperate areas. So, uh, yeah, it's it's good for them to have that resting period. Mm-hmm. Now, unless it's an orchid that you go buy, you know, from one of the outlets and you bring it home, I mean, you can feed an orchid because you want that thing to stay in bloom as long as it possibly can. We're talking about just old-fashioned house plants mm-hmm. that you have in the house. Because to me, an orchid... And my, I told you we had one last year that bloomed for five mm-hmm. months, y'all. Yeah. I was, like, blown away with this thing. But to me, it's still a temporarily plant. Right. It's not going to be there for the long, long, long term, in my opinion, okay, where a lot of other houseplants are. Right. Um, I have to tell this is how much we take too much care of things. I had an orchid pulled out of the, little cla- uh, the plastic pot and set it into an orchid pot right. and, and was going to go back and do the orchid soil teaser, you know, all the stuff you do to transplant an orchid. Well, then all of a sudden we moved and it was still in the pot. We set it up. I had it up on a t- tall shelf to make it closer to the light at this point. And now three weeks later, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I did I to, pot that? I forgot to put that. Yeah. And so I pulled it down um, because the other girls had been misting it, pulled it down looked at it no it's not potted and it grew and it's got a couple of blooms that started since we moved it so because they like air right they, they are they, they're epiphytes yeah you know. so i didn't go through and put it in a big bunch of soil i just set it in this pot still had the moss around it misted it and it well blooming. i mean look at some of the orchid medians i mean it's nothing but bark mm-hmm. you know so it's very coarse and it's got a lot of oxygen in there it's not this heavy soil you put an orchid in heavy soil for the most part, they're not going to make it. Right. 
Oh, Jim, I know, Jim. Um, okay, so we're going to be doing the water garden talk, and mm-hmm. we could do water gardens inside, so we could put like a small water garden in our plant room. It's possible. Possible. Mm-hmm. Po- possible, maybe. Because the plants, that would be the hard thing. <laughs> yeah, the splash is the most, you know, thing you've got to mm-hmm. consider. It, it's going to ruin your carpet or something like that. Yeah, true, uh, true. So. They're a little more difficult, but not not impossible. Right. You know, we're going to display our air plants by um, by one of our fountains that splash. <laughs> See if that helps any. All right. I guess it's time to go to a break. So we will be right back after these messages. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening for our second hour of gardening with you. We would love for you to give us a call or, which is 901-260-5926. Or you go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page there, Miss Veda, and shoot us a text. we got people watching um, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And then you can always go to kwmradio.com. You can listen to it live. It streams live all the time. But the beauty of it is also, Veda Jim, you can go back and listen to the podcast if you missed the show this morning. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing is, of course, you know, we love for people to give us a call, 901-260-5926. And then some people just don't like to do that. Like we said, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. Get on there and shoot us a text anytime you want. Ask us any questions. And you can call and ask, what would Jim do? Yeah. Yeah, Oh, I'm going to get a (laughs) T-shirt, WWJD. What would Jim do? Like the other Jim that we talked to this morning, not Millington, so... Let's see. So I'm looking at the Mid-South Garden Facebook page. Just kind of go. I love the Mahonia. Okay, the Mahonia. Is there any, what they put, somebody, Shirley posted a picture and it's about to bloom. Yeah, when you say Mahonia, Mahonia Holly, Mm -hmm. when I was there again, showing my (laughs) age, when I was growing up. There was one. There was one, Jim. There was one? The big leaf Mahonia Mahonia Holly. Thank you. The one that's got the pointy, prickly Yes, very prickly. And that's what that one is right there. Okay. Dis- undestructible. Absolutely. So, um, but since then, there's been the what the soft caress. Yeah. Does, which, does anybody had luck with that? Oh one? yeah, the soft caress. Holly? Yeah, I think it got burned pretty bad this year. That's what someone else said. And too. then yeah. I forget, y'all. There was a, a another one that we had last year that was similar to soft caress, but something to me as unattractive as the old-fashioned Mahonia holly to me. Depending on where it was in the landscape, it just and how it, it was grown. Yes, how it yeah, was grown. That's You're right. The most because it's so much like a nandina and grows by canes. You're so right. So it mm-hmm. takes proper pruning to keep it full. Otherwise, it canopies out at the top, gets naked up underneath. Yep. And it's mm-hmm. when it's in bloom, it's spectacular. Those beautiful yellow blooms. They really are, really are. Not. And and it, like I say, it's one of those plants that you put under your daughter's bedroom window. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, true. Boy, <laughs> that'll eat you up <laughs> too. Those plants are but intense. It, it it definitely needs to be grown, not just planted and, and ignored. Yeah, yeah, and but those new hybrids that are on the market, I mean, they look great. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, they really do. I do like that that. Caress. See the times that I've experienced. First, at one place, um, this lady planted it in a container, but it was a pretty big container under the garage. So I can't tell if it got too dry or not enough light. And then, well, this is kind of obvious why it didn't work. Planted 
close to its huge magnolia tree. <clears throat> so it probably didn't get enough water in that case. All right, other than, you know, we're always talking about, well, let me back up. With everything that happened this winter, you know, we are telling people to be patient when it comes to the pruning, correct? Because we just still don't know the amount of damage that's out there. But we know when the time comes, we'll get in there and we'll have to cut things back, selectively cut dead tissue out of there, and let's see what happens, right? But overall, I mean, are there certain, and Jim, you mentioned Mahonia's and Nandina's while ago, uh, and then last weekend you mentioned uh, Forsythia. Are there plants out there that we should really be pruning every Still, year? Oh, every year. You know, just just, just yeah. every year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Forsythia, you're saying, uh, Jim, go in Forsythia, there. any of the spring flowering shrubs, uh, Spirea, all of those, they okay. really should be pruned. Um, every year after they bloom and then about every fifth year you want to do a massive pruning cut it nearly back to the ground and why why (coughs) would you say that you get (coughs) better blooming foliage and tissue Uh Uh, so it's much prettier if you do a hard pruning about every five or six years Um, so speaking of spirea the ogon spirea it it (coughs) looks more native than Mm -hmm. any of the others uh, I when I was taking um, this this customer down to the greenhouse, and I haven't been in the greenhouse in like a week. And I said, oh, "I'll just show you because you, you, the plants down there they don't have leaves or anything." Because I don't care. I just love plants. Let's just go look. <laughs> so we're down going into the Looking greenhouse. Looking at deciduous shrubs yeah, that have right. no leaves on exactly. them. Exactly. But you know, we gotta <laughs> look. And that Ogon Spirea is blooming. And it was like a race, me and her running to it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to put those on display. And she's like, oh, I'm going to buy those. <laughs> but we're like the Forsythia for the ladies are so excited. But this Ogon Spirea is so delicate. Well, and, and Spirea to me are, are another one of those where they're extremely hardy, but they're also very versatile. I mean, there's a lot of different places you can put spirea. And tons of new varieties. And that's my thing I was going yeah. to say, Veda, is, you know, there again, instead of the old pink bloom mm-hmm. and the old, you know, and bridal wreath, which I love, yeah. the white blooms. Now, they're not only do they have beautiful blooms, but they got unbelievable foliage on them. Mm-hmm. And these yeah. things look great when they're not blooming. Right. You do know? you have a fave now out of all of them, Jim? And I can't remember the name of the one that has that scarlet, Jim, that reddish-looking leaf and kind of a lime green foliage. Oh. And, I mean, it looks wonderful Ooh. when it's not blooming. Something like lemon ball. I can't remember. Yeah, there are there are so many new ones now. Um, uh, trying to think of the one that's got kind of the orange foliage. The well, candy that's the corn? One yeah. Candy, candy corn. corn. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. I'm thinking of. It's it's really pretty, and it's you know it's only deciduous for like sixty days right. or so. Yeah. Exactly, it took forever for the leaves to fall. Yeah, so we got long fall color with that one. Yeah, You're it's right. a it's a good plant, you know. And it you want to prune that just right after it blooms. Go in there mm-hmm. and, and find a third or so of the oldest canes uh, and prune those out, and you'll get two to three replace that. Mm-hmm. So it really in, intensifies the effect. All right, what about the the like the limelight hydrangeas, the little lime mm-hmm. hydrangeas, you know, those paniculata varieties? Um, I mean, it's a little early to go in there and really start cutting those back now, isn't it? Well, no, really. You could go okay. ahead and do it. Um, I'm going to do ours probably in the next week or so. Okay. Um, and, and you don't ever have to cut these back. No. But you sure can. And the beauty of these, they kind of like a crepe myrtle. They bloom off the same year's growth. But at the same time, I don't want to cut them back too soon to encourage new growth, or is that just going to be weather-inducted anyway? I, I mean, think so. I don't think yeah. you could even force growth on them. Um, 
Of course, they might, y'all, we might have to go in there and mm-hmm. cut some of these hydrangeas back there again because of this flash freeze we had. Yeah, I had, uh, I've got one that's, I've trained to tree form, been there many mm. years, multiple canes, and it's got some dead wood in it. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm assuming that it's related mm-hmm. to the freeze. So there's going to have to be some trimming into that. They do, oh, we well, need to go over there one afternoon with a shovel. I know. Honestly. We do. We well, do. you need to, you know, well, before I totally move out. Oh, mm-hmm. true. Well, one thing that we, that, we just jumped over really quick and it was something I want to point out about pruning and Jim's and what Jim said. Okay. So you've got a spirea and we're saying prune it back yeah. after it blooms, it'll be really nice. And then you mentioned taking some of the bigger the older, older canes stems out, out canes mm-hmm. out. And so, which I've never really thought about that, but you would take those all the way to the ground, right. the bigger ones. And yeah. then the whole uh, shrub, you could just lightly shear it. And we're talking about, you know, the same thing point. with yeah. uh, uh, the forsythias. And what about quince? I mean, that's an early blooming shrub also, but you know, they're so woody structured. Yeah. You know, you never, if you never ever touched a quince, they're still going to do their thing. Yeah. If you just give them the space, they're going to get big and, you know, and, but I like to go in and prune them every year and prune them fairly hard uh, just to keep them in check. Uh, in fact, I'm growing a couple now in containers, uh, mm. trying to keep them, uh, the, um, Two oriental varieties. One's solid red and one is a uh, multicolor. Yeah. Uh, so they're, you know, uh, cut them back hard mm-hmm. right after they bloom and let them flush again so that they stay contained into that little con- Was that multicolor a special order? Uh, no, it's uh, it's pretty pretty common. And, of course, you know, no, they can't, can't think, of think about right. it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're tough little plants. Yeah. Uh, Toyo Nishiki. Toyo Nishiki is the one that has multicolor. Um, and the other one is multicolor bloom or foliage on it, Jim? Multicolor bloom. Bloom. Yeah, it will have red, white, and pink, uh, and variegated forms of both on the same plant. Mm. Uh, and it, it sometimes will sprout one limb that will have pretty much all the same color on it. So I try to keep those out. And then I've got another one that is solid red. Uh, that's another easy o nashigi oh, or something like that. I love the solid red ones. Yeah. Well, y'all are listening to Mid-South Gardening on KWAM 990 AM News Talk, and you're listening to Veda, Kenneth, and Jim. Call us 901-260-5926. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can give us a call, 260-5926. Also, if you watch us on Facebook Live, you can post questions on there, and we can answer them for you that way. Yeah. Hey, what about an oil spray, guys? You know, forever and a day, it seems like everyone uh, would go out there in early spring and spray things down with an oil spray. Mm-hmm. Um you know, way back when, I remember it was the old Volk oil, which mm-hmm. was a really heavy, like, petroleum-based oil. And now it's more of a paraffinic oil, a plant-based oil, uh, which I love because you can use it in warmer temperatures. But how important should we tell people, overall, is an oil spray used to be used in the springtime? I mean, what's your opinion, Veda? Or Jim? Um, I would say overall. Overall. I guess it's just mostly dependent on your plants, which ones you have. Um, maybe on the ones that are fungal prone, 
an insect because I mm-hmm. think yeah. you know the if beauty. If you have a euonymus, spray the sucker. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you know, they because get you're going to get exactly you, you're right. going to get scale. Right. But the beauty of an oil spray, uh, and I don't mind going out there and using an oil spray as my first spray, as long as it's not freezing or near freezing within 24 hours, you're in good shape and not above 90 degrees. But to me, the oil spray is kind of like the spring cleanup when it comes to insect eggs and larvae, right? Mm -hmm. Especially the eggs that are on there. Because if you go in there and spray these things down, uh, whether it's some evergreens, mostly evergreens, some of the needled evergreens you want to be careful with are deciduous plants. What it does, guys, it coats the tissue with with an oil, and it smothers any egg and larvae that is Mm -hmm. on that tissue. So at least you're hopefully starting out fresh and insect-free mm-hmm. on these plants. And Jim mentioned euonymus. Mm-hmm. Well, if you plant a euonymus, whether it's a golden euonymus, a silver king euonymus, or a Manhattan euonymus that's all green, you know that you're going to get scale insects mm-hmm. sooner or later. You're just going to, you're going to get them. So on something like that, especially, yes, I agree, going out there spraying with a with an oil spray. Well, and it's like, when I say euonymus planted compact-like or not taken <clears throat> care of very well, they definitely have the skill. If I see a place <coughs> where just one Yonimus is growing, where it's got all the room, it yeah. can do what it wants, I don't see too many issues with that. I would <coughs> spray if I knew I had insects. Like last year, the whatever I had problems with, I would do the oil spray. But I wouldn't just do all my plants or my whole yard trying to smother out an insect that might not even be there. And possibly I could get a beneficial couple of them instead of... So I would just do for what I had issues with. Well, and, you know, and I'm all what about saying, pinpoint yeah. spraying. But and, but also the beauty of this these new paraffinic oils or the hort oils is you can use them later on in the spring. So if you're, you know, after everything flushes out in the spring and you start having an insect problem, whether it's mealybugs or scale or whatever, you can go out there and selectively spray. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really think, you know, I really think the oil sprays are effective. That's my point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I think Very. also for fungal issues, they're, they'll really prevent a lot of problems. You know, by coating it with an oil, oil you prevent those spores from penetrating into the mm-hmm. tissue. So anything that's highly prone to it, uh, even things like dahlias, yeah. Uh, will benefit from a, from a spray like that. And, and then I have to mention in the same breath, if I'm saying any type of oil spray, now on the market there's the neem oil, of course. And neem oil is an oil that's derived from the neem tree. And the beauty of that oil is, Jim just mentioned it, it has great ins- insecticide properties, but it also has great fungicide properties to it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of does both, if you will. In fact, it does do both. It helps prevent a lot of uh, insect damage, and it helps prevent a lot of uh, fungal pathogens from attaching itself to right. that foliage. Well, I remember I was telling you all about that Swiss cheese philodendron. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, so three, I did the neem once a week for three weeks, and so far so good. We're still good with it. And I did some, I put worm castings on it and did a uh, drench, or not a drench, but use a liquid fertilizer. I know that's not like, causing it to take a lot of food up right now and that's helping it heal because I just did that so when the plant's ready to start feeding it doesn't have to wait for me it can get out of it can take its food 
immediately and get out of stress sooner. Well, but so far, the insects, there's no issue. I'm telling you, it's a great product. And, and, you know, I think neem is really the most popular oil spray that's out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, there's a product called Triple Action, which is neem with pyrethrins added to it. So yeah. so you still, so you have another additive, which is completely organic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're Omri, you know, products. Yeah. So you've got neem oil and pyrethrins added together. And you're talking about a very potent, very safe, for mm-hmm. example, uh, insecticide. I mean, it's it, it's good stuff, I'm telling you. You see me wanting to go potent. <laughs> potent. He's <laughs> <It's> a potent. <laughs> um, but good products out there. And but, but, you know, I still think an oil spray can be very beneficial um, for all the right reasons. Now, Invader, you made a point also. Go, instead of going out there and spraying just everything down in your landscape just for the sake of doing it because it's April the 15th, right? I don't know if that's the way to go. I know a lot of people, we used to do it that way. Because you're right. I mean, invariably, a lot of these plants or a lot of these sprays that we spray to kill the bad bug can potentially kill the beneficials also. So we're, like, we're, liking, we're liking the oil spray for maybe the roses that always get black spot. Because when that would that help on the using the oil spray oh, for sure. that? Oh, yeah. sure. Yes, it will. Fruit trees. Yeah. Is there going to get fungal they, They've been doing a lot of research over Middle Tennessee with oil sprays. And they've mm-hmm. as long as plants are well watered, they've used it on in temperatures well over 100 yeah now we don't recommend that yeah we don't uh, yeah. but because you know these are nurseries that know what they're doing and mm-hmm. do it, putting on the correct amount but they've had good success doing that wow. so uh, it's it's a good option for mm-hmm. uh, organic control of insects mm-hmm. uh, and most of your beneficials tend to fly so when you <laughs> spray they typically leave the area and then you get the ones you're really after, mm-hmm. the aphids and the, the mealybugs and, and things like that. Yeah, the scale, uh, those kind of things. You know, but you're, you know, you're only going to have beneficials if there's something there for them to eat. That's right. Which, so, uh, which I, I would be fine not yeah. having them around because right. I don't want the bad bugs for them mm-hmm. to eat. You know? <laughs> and then what about the crepe myrtle bark scale? You know, that's a, a scale insect that you know, forever and a day we used to spray an oil spray for the most part to kill different types of scale. Well, then came along crate myrtle bark scale, a, a, a scale that was affecting our crate myrtles and other things, but especially the crate myrtles. And if you read the literature, the oil sprays, for some reason, don't really do a good job on crate myrtle bark scale. Go figure, right? So then we used the tree and shrub drench, the product that we mix and spray that's got the, what, imidacloropid in it to kill the uh, crate myrtle bark scale. And it does a great job. And all you do is mix and pour. So... You know, just because an insecticide will kill one type of insect doesn't mean that it's going to kill them all. I guess that's why there's so many different insecticides out there. Just be aware of that. Yeah, plus they get <coughs> immune to them. And so you can use one and then switch to the other. And so it's good to have multi-kind. So is it drench time? Is it, is it would you say, mix and pour time? Mix and pour, Can, yes. can we do that now? Yes, and, and, and the only stipulation with the tree and shrub insect drench that we do pour around our crepe myrtles to c- control that scale, which will in turn get rid of the sooty mold, the black mold that's growing on the crepe myrtle, is the only stipulation really, as long as the ground's not waterlogged this time of year, so you don't want to use it right after a rain, or if the ground is, is frozen, which it shouldn't be, but uh, I'm telling you guys, it does a really good job in controlling this crepe myrtle bark scale. And the beauty of this product also, really too, you don't have to spray, 
okay? You mix and pour. You pour it right around the trunk of the tree, and it will last you for at least the rest of the year, for a whole year, sometimes up to two years, but at least one year. But we always tell people, whether you're spraying to kill scale or whether you're using a drench to kill scale, keep in mind, you'll kill the scale, okay? Mm -hmm. But a scale is like a barnacle. It's stuck on there. It's not going to fall off overnight. So keep that in mind. It's really crazy because you can pull a scale off and it's red underneath. It's like. Do they have blood? <laughs> it looks like oh, it's, it's, little, it's, it's, man, I'm it's telling you. It's amazing. But you see it. these crepe myrtles, though, that have been just not ever treated, mm-hmm. and they do get crepe myrtle bark scale. It, they look so bad, guys. I, I mean, it, it, they, are, they turn completely black from that sooty mold. Yeah, the leaves And do, they look yeah. so weak and finicky from the scale themselves that, you know, that's why a lot of people were just going ahead and cutting them down. They just... But if you treat them, I mean, it is no, they look beautiful with no scale mm-hmm. on them. Yeah. You know, there are some plants that just don't lend themselves to being sprayed with oil. Crape myrtles are too tall to yeah. really thoroughly coat them. Yeah. So there's no, really no way that a homeowner is going to be able to address scale with an oil spray, you know, on something that's 20 feet tall. Right. Well, have so, y'all checked the winter damage on crepe myrtles? Is we don't any, know yet. Is anybody talking yeah, much about I, I that? Yeah, I have looked at a number of trunks, not seeing any splits Same, yeah. yet. Um, right. But yet. I know. Sa- we the still sap's starting to rise now, though, so we'll uh, we'll see here in the next 30 days. So, or so actually, you're saying if uh, we may not see it now. Right. But we could possibly, when the sap starts flowing. When the sap starts so. flowing, and it'll probably pop some foliage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look yeah. pretty good, and then you start to have limbs die out of it when it really gets heat-stressed June or so. Uh. You say potentially, Jim, not— Potentially, yeah. yeah. That's when we typically see uh, <coughs> what's called sun scald damage from the rapid heating the morning after a really hard freeze. Uh, so, because you get such a temperature variant on the two sides of the trunk that the bark splits. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So, it will it will be a little while before oh. we see the damage on that. And what the, about, have you, anything at all, Jim, on Japanese maples? I've looked at the two that I have. Yeah. And so far, they, they look, look pretty good. Still look okay, but, uh, you know, the buds look good. Yeah. Uh, so Which is great news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a little early to tell. Yeah. on those also and then like we said you know we're talking about the red tip fotinas uh earlier so same thing we'll just have to wait and see jim on those yeah i yeah. think so yeah. all righty y'all stay tuned because we've got more to come give us a call 901-260-5926 Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM, KWAM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to... Mid-South Gardening. Oh, there she <laughs> How goes. How can you talk when the guitar is doing that? That's Josh's fault. <laughs> did all that. How can you talk? I just have to hear that part. So um, Jan Childress sent me this uh, last night, and then I saw it a couple other places. But And Jan uh, is watching this morning. So. Hey, Jan. Uh, <laughs> the woodpecker. Yeah. There's a woodpecker that's a hoarder. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, compulsive process. Mm -hmm. And this person had called animal control and found out that a bunch of woodpeckers had put 700 pounds of pecans in their wall. No way. These woodpeckers (coughs) are that compulsive. They're acorns. Yeah, it was acorns. I would put a pecan in there if it was me, but an acorn, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but but Mother Nature, I mean, all these critters are hoarders. You know, they they get ready for for winter and for bad days, so they want to have those little stashes around. So, yeah, bird expert said it was true. (laughs) I guess I'm thinking, okay, something's wrong here, but it's for real. There's a woodpecker. So you, I figured you. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it on TV when the guy cut the hole in it and started pulling all the acorns out of it. Right, and he kept pulling them out. Eight big trash bags or something. Well, first of all, the woodpecker's knocking a hole into his house, which is not a good thing. Yeah. You know, and a lot of these critters want to get inside our homes. You know, wouldn't we talked you, about the raccoons and everything else trying true. to get in there. But wouldn't you be sitting in that chair in your house <coughs> and you hear something Tapping fall down the wall, clunk, fall down <laughs> the wall, clunk? <laughs> and how many acorns is Thousands. that to get 700 <coughs> pounds? And you didn't hear anything? Well, That's got to be, I don't know, are they fast, though? And remember you know, we, they were using a few of them. We also talked about the old yellow-bellied sapsucker back in the fall. And the yellow-bellied sapsucker is, to me, a woodpecker, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem with one is, man, they'll go to these, and I've only, and tell me if I'm wrong, guys, I've only seen it You're happen. You're wrong. <laughs> a little <laughs> premature, Veda. I've only seen it happen to these very well-established hollies that had these big trunks on them they'll go in there and they'll start pecking like a woodpecker they'll start pecking out a grid uh, on the trunks of these uh hollies and of course they're licking the sap they're not Mm -hmm. looking for insects like other woodpeckers do but they're licking the sap that's why the yellow-bellied sapsucker right and you all of a sudden you start seeing these these grids like these holes being drilled inside the side of the trunk in perfectly gridded shape forms. And, of course, eventually, you know, if they and they come back to the same spot year after year. Yeah, they do. Which is amazing. So, you know, I guess it could pose a problem eventually, you yeah, know, if you don't. It takes a while, I've heard, because I was curious about that, too. Um, wouldn't a tree just die immediately? But, you know, the way they're leaving space in yeah. between the holes, it, there's still enough that's it's like they're doing yeah. it on purpose. Yeah. You know, they're not they're not girdling the tree, mm-hmm. but they are getting in there and creating these little holes in this grid, uh, and it will callous back over. I've seen these trunks where they just callous back over, but they come back to the same spot year yeah. after year after year, and you're just thinking, my God, you know, I have all the things out there. Now i got to deal with a bird that's I trying know. to kill my— this, this cra- The way these critters do— There was a guy fishing, and um, he looked down, and there was a snake— and the snake had a frog in his mouth. So he was like, um, okay, I can grab this snake, you know, because he's got a frog in his mouth. I can grab the snake by the back. And But how do I get the frog out? And he, he was looking around. No, he got the frog out. And then he thought, how do I get this snake off of me without him biting? So he looked over and he had a bottle of Jack Daniels. So he poured it down the snake. <laughs> okay, and that's why he picked up the snake to start yeah, with. And so the snake passes, passes out. And so a few minutes, and he throws it out. So a few minutes later, the snake comes back with two frogs in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Jack Daniels is good for so many things. Oh, but, I, you know, that would be my first question. Why do you want to reach down there and pick up the Okay, it gets with? better. It Help gets me. better. No, no. It, no, no it's going to get better. Just hang on. It's going to get better. 
That the slug mucin. Slug mucin? Yeah, the slug slime. Mm-hmm. Okay, the mucus. Okay, okay. y'all gonna love this. P- no, I just cannot believe this. Seven thirty in the morning, it. people are still right, eating breakfast. Right. It's used in face creams. Now, no. do you want to know how they get it? No, I do not. Okay, okay. First off, <laughs> these slugs are these snails are taken care of so well. They keep them calm. Nice music. Oh, best little warm. food in the world right, for them. Then, then they take them, move them from one location to the lab. Are you being serious? No, I'm, I'm being serious. And they, since they're nocturnal, you yeah. know, they turn off all the lights and all that. And they put all these snails on a mesh cloth. And so for 30 minutes, they just run around yeah. doing their thing. Because they're they, privileged little yes, slugs. Yes, they're privileged. Yes. And then they take them back. And then they take that, that mesh with the slug slime on it and harvest it. And it's, it's chondro- how you say that, chondroidin? That chondroidin that's good for your, um, mm. your cartilages and all of that and collagen. All It's what that is. That is amazing. And so who would, first of all, who would ever, ever find out initially how did that, that slug slime would be good for anything? Right. Or how did they find out that spider webs are good for, are stronger than Kevlar, Kevlar yeah. on bulletproof vests? It's, it's, yeah, we, I don't know. Does somebody sit there and think, well, what can I do with this, sl- this slug trail here? You know, you have <laughs> left this man over here speechless. I know, I know. He's just like, <laughs> so let me we see. We have reached a new low. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to get it, this, the, the um, slug slime skin care. <laughs> and see how that goes. I believe I know it'll work. I mean, there's there's like that hydrochloric acid that's great for your skin, but it's made out of eyeball juice. It's probably high dollar <laughs> skin no, care, by the way. It's really not. Well, and then it's kind of mm-hmm. like you know if you read about some of these certain articles where they're pushing us to eat bugs now. Yeah. You know, have you been reading mm-hmm. about that, Jim? You know, as I mean, it's it's a big push. Uh, because of the global population and everything and the food shortages. And it, now they want us to eat crickets and grasshoppers yeah. and everything else and, and mealworms. And well, I, was I happen watching, to know caterpillars are delicious. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Okay, tell me. Count me out, oh, okay? I was <laughs> watching them on TV the other <laughs> Jim, night, Jim, on, on a program, and they were eating this stuff. And I'm like, we haven't got to that mm. point yet. Now, if I had yeah. to, that's one thing. Well, like when I lived over in Italy, you would walk, you know, down the fresh market, the air market, and there was all kinds of bizarre things you could buy to eat. That doesn't mean that you need to stop and buy it and eat it. One Mm -hmm. time at the Botanic Garden, eat some chocolate-covered ants. Okay, Yeah, they was a rather unusual fundraiser that they had there. I love it. Um, But that's that's the extent. Not going to happen again. I didn't know that you would stoop that low, Jim. Well, you know. Chocolate. Said chocolate. That's right. That's the most important thing. It's got chocolate on it. (laughs) Right. You could just pretend like it's an almond-covered chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. But did you really taste... No, I couldn't. No, yeah. It's all about how you cook. Because I could tell you what, I could eat a, a a fried grasshopper, and it might taste better than some of these meals I've had before. <laughs> yeah, but how I many fried grasshoppers would you have to eat to? I don't know. They might be full of protein. It could be. I don't know. But anyway, so much for uh, that. I think I, I, gotta check, I would I'm rather just get the out. old insecticide out, make my spray, and get rid of those things. I'm not thinking about trying to eat them at all, or surely deep fry So I'm, I'm gonna just start there. <laughs> well, I'm sure that I cannot harvest enough for a meal in my yard, so I'm not worried about uh, it. Right. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, but it's it, there's not a, not going to happen. There is a big push though. I'm there telling you, starting bugs. Some th- it sounds like some people are panicking, thinking we're not going to have uh, enough food to eat, and so we're learning. But of course, <clears throat> we ate insects forever ago. You, you know, know, you had to get here some kind of way, and. Uh, you know, there weren't always cows. And I'm, I'm just thinking ahead. You know, it seems like every year there's always a fungus of the year and a insect of the year. You know, always. Well, uh, my insect of the year is snails. Remember year before last, the spittle bug was everywhere. Yeah. And, it, you know, we're like, what? I mean, we hadn't seen spittle bugs in 100 years. All of a sudden, they're everywhere. Uh, you know, and then some years, you know, it's the year of the aphid. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they're everywhere. Um, so I'm just curious to see this year, you know, because what's going to be the, the bug of the year? I mean, we don't know. Uh, chinch I mean, bugs on stressed lawns? I mean, it, you know, in Army Worms, remember three years yeah. ago, they were marching across Shelby County eating everybody's lawns just up. You know, what about the lawns with the, the freeze? What are y'all thinking on what, it, what the uh, outcome may be? Zoysia is, is greening up already. So. Yeah. The uh, the Bermuda though is not showing any signs of greening even at uh, around the um, sidewalks. So that, I am a little concerned. Oh, about the around Bermuda. the sidewalks. Yeah, hmm. normally it's got some green in yeah. it by now. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, what was I reading? What was I thinking mm-hmm. about the lawns, the Bermuda? Yeah, they were saying that everything was dormant enough that the the winter <coughs> wouldn't damage. But I've heard that Bermudas yeah. have been damaged they with have. lesser winters. It dies winters. at eight degrees. So mm. you you know if we were well below that. And we had so many hours below freezing. Well, but I think one of the things that might help us, honestly, is, you know, we did have moisture in the ground, thank goodness, because that acts as a better insulator to that extreme cold weather. We do have somewhat of a clay soil here. Now, man, Harbortown, you know, with that sandy loam yeah. down there, right, we'll right. have to wait and see what really yeah. happens down see, that's there. That's why we say don't put sand on your lawn, is because think of Harbortown with their sand and their lawn. Well, There's I not mean, enough soil to hold a little heat. There's it, more sand. And, and there's nothing there to hold water during the wintertime. Right. So, I mean, they actually could yeah. see more damage in, in their lawns, honestly, down towards the river than we do even here. But uh, I'm with Jim. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I hope and pray, you know, mm-hmm. that even the Bermuda is going to be okay. But, you know, it got down below eight degrees. There's no doubt about it. But I still think a little moisture in the soil and even a clay-based soil uh, would help insulate better than that sandy loam yeah. that's down towards and the river. And a lot depends on how how low you cut it. Yeah, oh, if, if it yeah. was trimmed down and really low going into the winter, you're much more likely to have damage than if you left it up two to three inches tall. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, more on this when we come back from this break. 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926. Of course, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there. And at any point, go to kwamradio.com, stream it live all the time, and listen to the podcast anytime you want. And guys, pre-emergence. I'm starting to sell a good bit of pre-emergent. And for anybody out there that's got a lawn, uh, pay attention because if you have a lawn and you don't want a lot of weeds, Mm -hmm. the best way to control a lot of these weeds is to kill it before the weed comes up, right? To kill the weed seed, to keep the seed from germinating. And that's where these pre-emergents come into play. 
And the one that uh, that we all sell typically more of than anything now is the high-yield weeding grass topper that containing dimension. Um, the, I'm telling you, especially, let's say, for example, like crabgrass, which is the nemesis of all grassy weeds. Crabgrass, I don't know why it just runs. I'd well, rather have Dallas grass than you, crabgrass. But if you think crabgrass is not a weed in a lawn and then you just mow it, then you're stress-free. Yeah, but I can't. Get out. I just knew. I could not either. <laughs> and, and of course, now years ago when Anzar was on the market, we didn't really worry about crabgrass. When it came up in the summertime, I mean, you went out there and sprayed Anzar and your crabgrass problems were gone, right, Jim? And mm-hmm. you sold a million cases of Anzar. Well, now that you can't buy those products anymore, as far as a post-emergent spraying after the crabgrass comes up, really the best way to control it is putting that pre-emergent down. And keep in mind, if you put a pre-emergent down today, for example, you still want to come back in about three months and reapply it because it has anywhere from a 90 to 120-day residual. But count on 90 because of the amount of rainfall we get in the spring and really the application rate that we put down. It's going to give you about three months of control. But after that three months, that product is gone. And seeds can still germinate. Right. So do it now. Wait three months and do it again. How long has pre-emergent been on the market? Ooh. Um, well, some of them, like Trefland, been around for, you know, like the 50 60s, years. 50 years. Yeah. yeah. So, so, like, being we in used a to have some really good ones, like Dactol, which you yeah. can use on strawberries Dactol, sure. and stuff. Yeah, um, and then there was Bayland and Surfland, and then you had to know which one's in the shrubs, which one goes in the flower bed. Yeah. Well, and that's another beauty of the dimension, the high-yield weed and grass topper, is you can use it in your lawn, but you can also throw it up in your beds. As long as you're not going to come back and put any seed down within the next, you know, three months, uh, you're fine. Now, you, you can't use it in a vegetable garden, but all the ornamental beds in your lawn— and like you said, Veda, back in the day, we would have one for the lawn, and we would have another one for mm-hmm. the beds. Right. You know, so this one you can just put everywhere. Let's see, I, th- I started in the garden industry, I think, in 89, and then in, in 94, around there, Preen came out. Well, that was Trefland. Yeah, Preen yeah, is Trefland. Yeah, right. Yeah, and but it had been around years earlier. Yeah. Security Chemical Company was packaging Trefland back in the in the seventies. Right. Yeah, and tip- the, the preen was like a pretty packaging, yeah, and it was yeah. a homeowner thing. It's just a rebranding of Trefland's right. all it is. Yeah, and so I remember I did a, a commercial where it was like, "Stop the weeds before they start." Yeah, and because the pre-emergent was kind of more get more into the homeowner yeah. situation, and so for me, I was like, "Oh, this new thing." And it's the go-to product for vegetable gardens. Yeah, the Trefland. Yeah. yeah, but with, Always, with stipulations, right? you know. Yeah, but there's some things like. Like corn, you don't want to put it on until it's past its three-leaf stage because it would prevent corn from coming up. And, and yeah, and, and the, one of the big differences also is the weed and grass stopper that has the dimension that you put on your lawn and typically your beds. You don't have to incorporate it in the soil. You just put it out and water it in. Where something like preen, which is trefland, unless you get the organic preen, which is corn and gluten meal. Uh, those products really need to be worked into the first two or three inches of the soil to really be effective. So that's one of the really big differences between uh, the two. And plus, you know, cost effectiveness. You know, you don't want to put preen on your lawn right. because, A, it costs a lot more, but also you really need to work yeah. it into the soil for it to be really effective. And it's really not the best product for a lot of the broadleaves. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's great on grasses. 
uh, for crabgrass, things like that, it would work quite well. But it's not going to be economically feasible. It's not. And and like I say, there's so many broadleaf weeds that it just won't stop. Dimension right now is by far the the covers the most uh, weeds that uh, of anything that you mm-hmm. can buy. So, yeah, and then there's the corn gluten meal, corn gluten meal that's um, and it's just pre-emergent, a, but it's so expensive also. And it's yes. just a byproduct of corn, yeah. but it's got an enzyme or a protein, I forget which one it is, maybe mm-hmm. an enzyme in there that, you know, it feeds your lawn. That's yeah. typically why people put corn gluten meal down, but at the same time, it does inhibit a lot of weed seed germination because isn't it like nine percent nitrogen something like that something like that but it is expensive though yeah it's going to cost you about 10 times what it costs with trefland exactly or i mean with dimension uh, dimension Dimension. yeah i know that that's the hard thing but i don't as in an organic department i guess you could say the dimension is not horrible it all, I mean, it bonds with the soil. It, it does the no, thing. No, and it breaks down over time. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's it's a good product for for homeowners. I mean, it'll sure prevent a lot of mm-hmm. weeding. Yeah, it, because it, then think about this. I'm sorry, Kenneth. No, go ahead. If uh, you're using, I mean, in a way, you still can consider this, uh, even though it's synthetic and some people have issues with that, you could still consider this a benefit to the environment because if you have weeds, you're going to be spraying a lot more stuff out you're there. You're just preventing those weeds from coming up to start right. with. Right. So, so we're putting something that's in that is in the ground that goes away quickly, but when it's in the ground, it does its So thing. you're, you're yeah. trying to eliminate the spraying part. Of right. It. And the water. Then there's the water usage. But also keep in mind, guys, when you put a pre-emergent down, it, it does a good job in keeping that seed from coming up. But there are some weeds that will come back as a, from the root. Okay, and, and it's a perennial weed. So don't don't think that it's going to keep every weed from coming back. Yeah, just those that, that come back from seed. And that second dose, you know, along sometime in May is really important because you've got things like gout weed and and yes. uh, even some crabgrass. Yeah, um, goose grass that are late germinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it will uh, even um, uh, mulberry weed. Yeah, oh, yeah. boy, yeah, I yeah. definitely want to. That's a late germinating product, so you need to have that pre-emerge down for it. In fact, you know, a lot of people would just put it down every three months just year do round. It, right. You know, yeah, that's you what should. I would do. Mm-hmm. About every three months, just go out there and put that pre-emerge right. down. There, if you want, if, if weeds concern you, that's my thing. And I always like to prevent weeds from coming up instead of have to deal with them later on. Man, I wanted to go to that talk in Bartlett, uh, at the library, at the library, weeds, edible weeds, something like that. Who was that that gave that one? I, I don't know, but I told y'all the story. The only time that I ate pigweed was about two years ago, and it tasted great. <laughs> yeah, it really did. He was really hungry that day. No, this well, yeah. this guy that lives in Arkansas brought me some, and he said, "Kenny, you you got to try them. They're they're just like greens." And I'm thinking, why am I going to? I can eat greens if I want mm-hmm. greens. Why am I going to eat pigweed yeah. that you pulled on the side of the road? And, but the way, I guess the way you cook it, what you add mm-hmm. to it, y'all, it was great, I'm telling you. And pigweed's everywhere over there. Was it sweeter than greens or similar to no, greens? No, it just it wasn't quite as sharp as, mm-hmm. say, a turnip green. Yeah. Uh, but y'all, I'm telling you, they tasted great. It, it, and I was like, okay, this is a weed because someone called it a weed. It's a weed right, if it's growing when you don't want it to grow. Mm-hmm. It's right. an edible if you grow it yourself right. and pluck it and eat it. Because well, I don't want my edible weeds in with my lawn. No. So there. 
<laughs> oh, I said what Jim says. So there. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. garden so won't remind everybody about that we spent about a half a day the other day getting ready for it so we think we're ready and we'd love for everybody to come out this all for the benefit of the botanic gardens so anyway that's, oh, so and that's, that's a week from today yeah. and that's nine yes, to twelve sir. yes sir all right so jamie what 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 have What's you been the, doing these past two weeks just sitting around letting trucks run into you <laughs> <laughs> Having to climb out windows, I'm finding out. Yeah, heard about you that are a tough cookie. Everybody got to be someplace. Right, right. That's crazy. I and try was... not to be in front of trucks, though. <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, just minding my own business and got run over. But uh, Right. Uh, Isn't that how that happens? Life, I think. Well, we're glad you're all good. You're a tough cookie, that's for sure. Hey, Jamie, while I got you, buddy, you said a week from today from 9 to 12 at the Memphis Botanic Gardens, this is Memphis Area Master Gardener Presents. And if for right. someone that's just now hearing this, Jamie, is there a particular or certain topic that these people are going to be talking about? Well, gardening in an uncertain times. <laughs> okay. That's a good title. So, it is. so it uncertain is. times, like, are we going to have to eat crickets or can we have vegetables? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> right? Really. And, and, and then okay. the other question, Jamie, is uh, if someone listening and they do want to attend this, do they need to make a reservation or can they just no, show no, up? No, no, They can come up and show it at, at, at the garden. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to get them in somehow. I think it's uh, $10 if you're a master gardener and... Uh, a member of the uh, Botanic, Garden. Botanic Garden membership. Yeah. But it's 15 for the regular people. So yep. anyway, we'd love to have everybody come out. That's right. perfect. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Jamie. Glad you're all good. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Glad you're okay, buddy. Sorry. Involved in the news. Thank, Thank you, you. ma'am. Involved in an accident, you said, yeah, last week? Yeah. And he said, like Jamie said, just minding his own business, right. tr- gets run over by a truck. Right. It just runs right into the passenger's or driver's side, and <sighs> so he just climbs out. But this is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, that Saturday, guys, this coming Saturday, uh, 9 to 12, at the Memphis Botanic Gardens, $10 if you are a Memphis mm-hmm. Area Master Gardener or a member of the Botanic Garden, $15 if not. And this is going to be something you don't want to miss. Right. Yeah, the speakers are Dr. Lila Kelly, How to Garden in Uncertain Times, and then Carol Reese, Are We Doing It Wrong for the Plants and the Planet? Planted. <laughs> great spokespeople, great topics. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun, I'm telling you. Jim, are you going to be there? Uh, probably not. Okay, I mean, I didn't know if you were even going to be, like, one of the spokespeople. No, or... um, no, no. Um, okay. I'm probably going to... Uh... I'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You've talked enough and after that. <laughs> yeah. I know I went home the uh, other Saturday after getting the garden talk and all that and I said, I don't talk don't make me talk. I'm so tired of talking all day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that sounds good. But that'd be a lot of um, fun. Nine to twelve next Saturday, guys. Keep that in mind. I was reading stuff about how now the um arborist wood chips are 
Hold on, hold on. Arborist wood chips, you know, when the arborists go out, cut down the trees, the wood chips and okay. all that, all right. um, that are being researched more and discussed on how that's a better mulch in terms of the fact that it doesn't mat like our uh, brown mulches, hardwood shredded mulches, and that, well, that water push, can flow I'm going to push freely. back a little bit on that, okay, because I've done them all. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, I've told y'all, well documented, that I made a really bad mistake by putting what I thought would be a great top dressing in my beds. Yeah, and that's it was right. The, you were talking it was about the soil that. conditioner. Mm-hmm. And, the and soil, I told him it was too fine. He did, he did, he <laughs> did, and I just didn't believe a word of it. And it did both, Jim. It was too fine. It did wash away anywhere there was water coming down. But I'm telling you guys, the smaller that particle, the more it interlocked. Mm-hmm. And you would not, I mean, it's just hard to comprehend that it would act that way. It actually formed an umbrella on the top of my bed. I mean, water would not penetrate the stuff. It would hit it if it didn't wash it away and just roll off. Where a more coarse mulch, kind of what Veda's like talking about, the bigger wood chips, if you will. But if you use a coarser mulch, like a pine mulch, or even a shredded hardwood mulch, you're going to have enough room for that moisture to pass through there, even Mm -hmm. a lot more oxygen pass through. But y'all, it was amazing how... Soil conditioner, which is nothing more than pine fine. It's just fine mm-hmm. ground up pine bark is all great, it is. Great for incorporating into potting soils to make them lighter. Uh, great for working into your beds uh, when you're planting, but it's not a, not a top. And, and, and Jim, I, learned, I had to learn the hard way because I just did not believe. Because I was thinking to myself, this stuff would be so easy to spread, right? Mm-hmm. It looks great because it's really fine and it's ground up, you know. And yeah, I'm, not, I'm telling you. I'm not a fan of the arborist mulch. Um, when, when tree companies cut down trees, they grind them up and then have to dispose of them. And they have to pay to have that done. So someone came up with the idea of, well, what if they grind them up and then either give them away... Or sell the mulch. And it's not like mulch. I mean, it's coarse. It's Mm -hmm. bigger chunk stuff. It's got a world of anything in it, okay? Um, Can have poison ivy in it. It can have um, walnut in it. You you don't know what's in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's a minor issue. But it's really an effort for the tree companies to save some money. Yeah. You know? And to me, it's not a substitute for regular mulch. It's very coarse. Yeah. And there are some areas where they advocate putting it six to eight inches deep. Oh, Lord. Yeah, on shrubs and that sort of thing. And and I, 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 do, I had a conversation through email or tried to, but the lady wouldn't respond to my question. Um, at the soil surface, you're going to have um, that, that wood's going to be breaking down if it's green. Mm-hmm. And there is some concern to me around annuals and that sort of thing that you may not worry too much about shrubs. Uh, And when I asked the question, they said, boy, they didn't research that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Now, Uh, what about if they have it all piled up and they let it set there for a year and it's really broken down to the point where it's not just green wood? It's not raw wood. If it's just dry yeah, I mean, it's still to me not very attractive because it's yeah. stems and yeah. And, yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, but if it's as long as it's dry and it's still coarse, 
it's okay to yeah. put down as a mulch. Because, I mean, if they're going to give it to you, you know. Yeah, because we always say, but I, I do like what Beta said, though, being more coarse because mm-hmm. moisture and everything passes through it, which is the way it should be. It, it is. It's just not as attractive. And it's not as easy to spread because you're going to get it in mulch and then you've got to shovel it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in there. To me, bagged mulch yeah. is not that much more expensive. Yeah. And it's so much easier to throw a bag on your shoulder or put it in a wheelbarrow and take it over and dump it and spread it out. Well, I'm glad y'all brought this up because people will also try to use raw wood, raw sawdust, raw chips, whatever, uh, in their landscape as a mulch, a top dressing, or as Mm -hmm. a soil amendment. That's not what you want to do. You do not want to use that product that is raw. If you're ever going to use those wood-type products, put them in a compost Mm -hmm. pile, let them sit there for eight or nine months, and then you can bring them out and use them, but try not to ever use just that raw material. Yeah, for, I was reading anything. this from the National Arborist Association. I think something, they funded something. the research. Yeah, and it was like the the science behind or but mystic both misters mythbusters. Yeah, the science behind uh, the arborist wood chips. Yeah, and they were. The big thing was it doesn't mat yeah. like the um, other wood chips like do. No, like soil like, conditioner. Yeah, right. Or One the, of the chief the researchers on that is on the board of the yeah. uh, National Just like on all the chemical companies, too. <laughs> just oh, yeah. like the colleges. Yeah, right. I know. It's just never fair. It's where they you give can't you get a, the right. They give you a problem and say, give me research to back this yeah. up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's just not uh, fair. The whole world's like that. Just yeah. tell me the truth about but, it. But wood products can be reused, like mm-hmm. I said. And, and that's a good thing. Because yeah, they were talking talking about how you don't go get the fresh uh, stuff that the arborist just cut up, you well, know, to get it from after it's been processed and all. But, and let's say this also, even on like, remember the double hammered hardwood mm-hmm. mulch that they run it through the hammering process more than one time. So it's a smaller mulch. It looks great, mm-hmm. uh, but even it can crust on the top. Mm-hmm. So I right, do like yeah. a little larger particle for my mm-hmm. top dressing in my beds for those reasons. No right. doubt about it. Yeah. And see, that was the thing. Like pine bark nuggets are bigger particles, but Much they bigger. float. Right. You know, so then you got stuck with that. And I use cypress just because it does mat. L- I love cypress. Just so it it's doesn't a, float. I, yeah, I like the lighter color uh, mm-hmm. of the mulch against, Me you know, with too. the background. But it uh, it mats down. And I mean... The, You'll get a fungus that will grow into it that will matter. You can pick it up in sheets. Yeah. Um, and that's a beneficial fungi. That's right, not a bad right, fungus. But, it's, but you need to break it down, you yeah. know, go in there and rough it up some periodically. But but to me, the regular shredded hardwood mulch mm-hmm. also has the bigger pieces in there. It's, it's coarse. It's not going to mat up like that double hammered hardwood mm-hmm. mulch is. And it's... It's mulch. It's like Jim said. I don't mind buying mulch in a bag. I don't really mind buying mulch bulk, mm-hmm. but I just don't want something that's so fine that's going to crust right. up and mat up and actually form a water barrier in my beds. There's even that triple hammered mulch. See, that's that's there again. It looks it's great, too Beta. Airy. Many it's years ago, Ferd ordered uh, half a truck of mulch over to a poplar store and when it got there it was mostly sawdust yeah that's what this and so you know he said you got you know you guys got to pick it up and i ended up buying the half a truck from him Mm -hmm. and taking it to my house and 
I mean, it had it had lumber in it. I could, <laughs> yeah. I could have built edging. With, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it. it was the worst stuff I ever saw, but uh-huh. it was cheap. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes you go get the cheap bags of mulch, and they've got big old lumber in it, like you yeah. said. Oh, it's time for a break. We'll be right back. 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I know I was thinking about, you know, how you were saying, like, um, you'll get a product and then get somebody to research it to confirm what they want you to confirm. Sure. That's how so much research is paid for by companies who uh, need evidence to back up their... uh, So So the the research is geared to give them the answer that they want. Right. And this was... And a lot termed, of it's done in college. Yeah, this colleges. was termed science-based. So I guess it could still be science-based, but you can turn it <laughs> like you want to turn That's it. That's right. It is science-based. Yeah. They've got the research that they did to back it mm-hmm. up. That's right. not right. So now you can never believe science-based because it's well, always biased. No, it's not always. That's not always. Yeah. You just but then read. how do you know when it is you wanna, it You want to read. You want to read. the thing. You know, we just got to keep playing with it, right, right and mm-hmm. figure it out. Yeah. But it's kind of like you still want to read more than one article on right. it. You know, when you look something up, you're not reading just that one thing. You know, you want same with the well, medical industry, too. Yeah, we had too, a, a yeah. case this week where some uh, somebody asked a question on their when to prune their wisteria, mm-hmm. you know. And I've always pruned it immediately after it blooms. That way you don't cut off any flowers if there are any, yeah. right, you know. But if all it's the research this woman had done said cut it when it's dormant. Well, you know, if you want to cut it, you're going to, if you've got flower buds, you're going to cut them off. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. Now, it's not going to hurt the wisteria, right. but you're not going to get any bloom so, that right. year. Yeah. Now, it's easier to prune, obviously, before mm-hmm. it's got some growth on it. Yeah. But if you're wanting, if it's old enough and in right condition to bloom, you're going to cut them off by right. doing any pruning. Yeah. So, you know, it's... So she didn't like... She read several things, you know, so she was, I think, pretty much determined to do the trimming. Because she had read an article that said that yeah. was the best yeah. time to and, do it. And she probably, the article probably wasn't referring to the fact that if you prune now, you'll prune the blooms right. off. It was just saying that it's a good, good time to, to do prune. it. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So those are all the things. Oh, and then the mulch. I was looking at the, um, on that site about how they took a big plot and then they did four by four areas of mulch, like one inch, Mm -hmm. two inch, six inch, you know, just kept piling Mm -hmm. it up. And then they just let nature take over. And the one that had like 12 inches of mulch, there were no weeds in it. But you can't do 12 inches of mulch around. That's right. Here's right. Oh, let me ask you this, though. I mean, are they still giving away mulch like they used two years ago? Uh, I mean, because I know at one point, you know, even the Christmas trees, they would recycle mm -hmm. those, run them through the shredders that had these huge piles of chopped up wood from old Christmas trees. And they would just give that stuff away. Um, but I don't even know if they even if there's even a, a mulch giveaway anymore. Because now they found out people buy. Yeah, I think maybe you know the city of Bartlett does theirs, and okay. I think maybe they have you know once a year or something they have a free giveaway for mulch. Okay. But um, but yeah, you know they're still collecting them and 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 they make decent mulch if it's chopped up. You know, a good mulch company, you know, like Nature's Earth or Jones or all these, when they do this double hammer, they run it through magnets first yeah. to take out any metal that might be in mm-hmm. there. Uh, and then then they treat it, and then they pump water on it and break it down mm-hmm. so that it's uh, hopefully you've got 
It's uh, done right. Right. It's it's decomposed enough that it's not going to suck any nitrogen mm-hmm. out of the, the right at the surface of the soil. If it smells like whiskey barrels, it ain't quite ready yeah. yet. Okay. <laughs> it still needs to like, age a little bit. What's my husband doing? If it's doing? smoking, you know, yeah. if you go to pick it up and it's smoking, that's yeah. not a good sign. Well, you let that stuff yeah. cool off before you put it in your beds. But so yeah. taking, you know, the overall... When people are going going out there mulching this spring, mm-hmm. uh, we're just saying that it doesn't really what type of mulch you use, whether it's cedar, cypress, shredded hardwood, shredded pine bark, even pine needles. They're all fine. And a lot mm-hmm. of times it comes down to a matter of preference. All we're saying is don't use raw material, fresh raw material. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't overdo it in your beds. You only need, you know, a couple of inches of mulch that usually does all the work it needs to do. Um, and, don't, and don't use the soil conditioner <laughs> as your mulch. Right. Well, how many times do we say don't plant in the same area that a tree just came down because you've got all the tree shavings and everything around it, which can take nitrogen out of the soil mm-hmm. and then it stress the plant. It can deplete your soil of nitrogen. So there's, you've got to be careful. There is that balance. You need to make sure it's... Plus, you hint, what's going to end up is the existing root system where the tree is going to decompose, mm-hmm. and you're going to have collapsed areas in there. Oh, in fact, we had someone sure. this week post pictures. Of, uh, on sent, the sent me Facebook a, page, you know, this one, the, they sent me a private message where they, they, they've got this deep three foot hole that's just appeared and they've tried to fill it and it reappears. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've and they've, they've called the plumbing companies out yeah. and there's no drainage issue. They can't figure uh, out what's going on. And all it is, is sometime in the last maybe 10 or 15 years, a tree they've there. removed a huge tree. Mm-hmm. And now that root system is broken down and you've got, you know, I had one pop up in my yard uh, and it was 10 years or so after the, because the tree was gone when I moved in. Wow. And I could take a, a long handle shovel and invert it and put the, sh- the handle all the way into the ground. Yeah. All, you know? all the but way, that space yeah. was there because of where these roots, roots had disappeared. They had rotted right. away. Well, right. And it took 400 pounds of gravel and a couple of bags of soil to fill that Good one. Lord. And I had several pop up. Mm. So. so that may be. Okay, so we had installed a water garden at this lady's house. Um, well, somebody else had done it a while back. And so we're trying to get it fixed, quit leaking and all that. And so he, the guy, the fountain tech, they drained the water out with the shop back. And he goes, there's a hole back in the yard that yeah. nobody knows why it's there yeah. and she's got something around it and we just pour our water in there and who knows where that water mm-hmm. goes out only so possibly that's it that's the tree it. composted yeah. down oh, yeah. it had it had the first hole popped up right along a fence line and i tried to fill it one day with water and could not yeah <laughs> it, that it did was not fill. this thing okay uh, that's so, it then you know that was a huge root and from that tree, there were mushrooms popping up in the neighbor's uh-huh. yard, oh, yeah. you know, oh, 50 good. feet away oh, yeah. where the roots were decomposing under this thing. So oh. it's, uh, yeah, it's going to leave quite a, a, a cavern and up underneath. Just, and, and that just naturally happens, guys. You can't prevent that. When you cut these big oak trees down or a big tree down in general, you know, unless and you can grind the stump, but the roots are still down yeah. there. Yeah. And they're going to eventually break down. And depending on the size of the tree and the size of the roots, you're, and I've seen this so many times, like you're talking about, Jim and uh-huh. Betty, you're going to have these big cavities in there. It's going to be years down the road. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm-mm. No, because so. we worked in this lady's yard uh, or I knew, for a long time, and her tree had been cut down. And when I started there, the it was maybe been cut down about three years. Worked there about 
four more years and all of a sudden you're sinking in, mm-hmm. you can just start pulling out the, the old trunk by by hand. Every year we would add soil and plant something on top and then we and that's pull really, it up and add soil. Well, and, and that's what you do. The only way you can combat that is just by filling in those cavities. And like Jim said, you know, he started with gravel in his, yeah. you know, and then, you know, use soil on top of that. It, but it, whether it's gravel, whether it's soil, whether it's sand, whatever it is, you just got to fill those cavities and know that the first time that you fill them, you know, you, I'm, I'm done right, with yeah. this. Nope, no, you're gone. not. Yeah. No, because it's going to happen again. And it, it can take years before you really get them completely filled in to where you're not still having that sinkage every year. Mm-hmm crazy i know that's i'm trying to go through all that in my head thinking how does a root system leave that much of a hole well you have to remember that about 70 percent of the tree is underground okay what you're seeing mm-hmm. on top is about 30 percent kind of like iceberg, iceberg look you yeah. know yeah <laughs> yeah so you know that it has massive roots uh and then you've got such a huge field in our soil about two and a half times the mm-hmm. canopy width so you've got uh, an awful lot of roots. You so know, we talk about root hairs, like 600,000 mm-hmm. miles of root hairs yeah. on a single oak tree. Yeah, you so know, that circled the earth like 25 times. So I guess it's like when we have a pot in a plant in a container and it becomes all roots. Yeah. Then when you pull that plant out, there's a big hole. Yeah, and, and, but I also think, and, and a lot of people don't have the stumps grinded, mm-hmm. okay? And invariably, eventually... That's going to break down also. I had a, you know, I know we got to go to break here, but I know we had a, a Bradford pear that split. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that? You know, yeah, a Bradford pear what? in my backyard split when everybody was planting Bradford pears. And we cut it off at ground level, okay? And Bradford pears actually have very hard wood, a lot harder than I thought it would be. I mean, very hard wood. But I just cut it at ground level, and I said, you know, this is at ground mm-hmm. level. The lawnmower can go over it. I'm not worried about this. Yeah. Well, and it took about six years maybe seven but six to seven years and that whole thing just started to all of a sudden decay yeah and sink downward so it it just seems like it's all good for years and years and all of a sudden exactly. you've got a hole in your yard exactly wow nature so i don't have to worry about some big thing from stranger things climbing out of this hole that nobody knows where it comes from well you know they they do often have um inhabitants move into oh, them that would be something yeah, yeah. these Aww. furry little things with two little ears and beady eyes uh-huh. oh, you know? so cute <laughs> when we get back y'all we're going to talk about what are some of the secrets to germinating seeds indoors that's funny i was going to talk about that too we we're both going to talk right, about it right right but um yeah because it is getting seed starting time yeah. or it is seed time that's giving me string fever. Had someone asked me yesterday, so is the cold over? Really no, over? No, ma'am. Like, I just, and I'm standing there going, do I answer this or can I answer well, this? Well, first of all, or you can't answer it. The you farmer's say, almanac doesn't know. The uh, weatherman don't know. The, who's that Puxatawney Bill thingy? Groundhog yeah. doesn't know. Yeah, he said six more weeks of winter. Yeah. But, but here it is, mid-February. The answer is, no, we're not done with cold weather yet. <laughs> yeah. But then how cold? Uh, that we don't yeah. know. All right, y'all, just hang on. We got more to talk about. We'll be right back. 901 260 5926.
Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM, KWAM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio Gardens. I'm here with Kenneth from Dan West. And then Jim, who's an administrator of the Facebook page, but has multi-talents. He does garden talks. Oh, he's been in the industry for a long time. I think between us three now, how many? Now we're about to, what, 103 Shh. years worth of experience? Gosh, I don't, don't, say, don't say that. <laughs> I mean, Jim's got 70. Kenneth's got 80, 90. I, I've got, you know. Okay. So anyway, um, go ahead and take that question. Then we can talk seeds Yeah, later. we had John that texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And John said, azaleas, what should we do for the azaleas? Question mark, 35-year-old plants that appear to have suffered the, from the extreme cold. And John is exactly right when he says that. Azaleas took a beating when that flash freeze came through. But the good thing is, Jim, and you'll back me up on this, is on all the azaleas, I shouldn't say all, but 99% of the azaleas that I've seen, the damage was really confined to the foliage of the plant. Yeah, and the flower buds. I'm not so sure that some of those are going to survive. Uh, but the wood, everything that I've seen looks good. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, got there with your green. thumb and kind of scratched that, that limb, that tissue. I mean, it's mm-hmm. good and green up under there. And that's the, the wonderful thing that we wanted to see because... I'm telling you, when I first saw these azaleas, I'm like, man, you know, Memphis is almost like the azalea capital of the world. I mean, there's so many azaleas here. And can you imagine if those things had really, really been damaged? I mean, that, oh. that would be a, a big blow. But that I'm would be you, rough for us. <laughs> so, John, um, it, it looks like they're, they're going to be fine. I mean, time will tell, but we're all pretty confident that they're going to be absolutely fine. Now, I would say, you know, typically we say, you know, feed azaleas after they bloom. And the only reason we say that is because we don't want to prematurely force foliage to flush out and hide the bloom. It doesn't hurt the azaleas. But my point is, if you've never fed azaleas in your life, this is the year to do it. Because they are going to have to replace all of that foliage. They lost all of the foliage Mm -hmm. this year. Not just some of it, but all of it. And they might need that extra little nutrient value, that extra boost, if you will. So go out there in early April, really feed these things um, with a good non-burning fertilizer. But, John, the good news is most of these zayas are going to come back. Yeah. Now, there will be some. There's some of the setsukis that are really marginal. You may get them burned back to the ground. Mm. A few of the encores that mm-hmm. are not as winter-hardy as... And I've seen a good all. bit of damage on encores, too. Yeah, some of those monarch, uh, starlight, those uh, tend to be a little <coughs> less hardy. Um, so we may <laughs> see some damage on those. But I think if they're established, you're going to see them flush back out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so New plantings, that would be the, the most concern if they did, weren't moist enough going into this freeze that you might get them burned back. Uh, I've seen surprising um, more boxwood damage here just that recently. I wanted to ask about that. It's the leaves are beginning to bronze, mm-hmm. uh, and they, didn't, they looked fine up until hmm. this last ice storm, and now they're beginning to brown more. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, again, it's just tip damage um, and looking at the wood. But I have seen a number of boxwood that are just really badly burned Mm -hmm. now. And they weren't that way after the flash freeze. So what do we think? I mean, do we still think overall that the boxwoods Mm -hmm. overall are going to be? I think so. It was kind of like Jim was talking about, too. 
it, it, some of them can flush out, but they're weak enough, or the stems could have cracking or damage right. in them, the too. Right, the micro lesions yeah. in, in them. Yeah. Particularly with boxwood, one of the things is we do, we tend to trim them all the time. We do. And, I do. And yeah. often mm-hmm. too late into the season, you know. If you're trimming in mm-hmm. August and September, that new growth that comes out does not have time to harden off for winter. So you're going to get some bronzing mm-hmm. on it. You know, or some you, burn on yeah. that on that new tissue, that brand new tissue that's, that's coming right. out late fall. It just hasn't had enough time to harden off. So, you know, I, I t- try to tell people, you know, after July 1st, try not to do that. I mean, a little mm-hmm. tip trimming with something yeah. that's in the way. Yeah. But if you shear them, you're going to get a flush of growth. That and that's exactly likely, what I do with mine. Likely will get damaged. Yeah. Yeah. Or even in July, if you take it back, it can sunburn. Yeah, and, and yeah. most years it's not going to be an issue because we don't typically get bitter cold temperatures until after they've had time to harden off some. Mm-hmm. But uh, having said that, I mean, there still are going to be some varieties of boxwoods that are that are really going to show a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see all the uh, D.D. Blanchards. They're they're just as brown. I haven't Magnolia D.D. Blanchard. I know or? the. Um, Boxwood. Oh, um, what de- is it? Uh, D-Runk. D-Runk. Thank okay. you. D-Runk. It's got that D in there. Um, but I'm seeing a lot. I haven't went up to um, close mm-hmm. enough to see, but I'm just seeing planted in commercial plantings and, you know, how there's one. And they're on not cheap end. boxwoods either. I know. And they're mm-hmm. just, they're like the color of this wall almost. Yeah. just kind of grayish brown. But so I'm thinking I'm going to get a good inventory of those in. Because there's nothing that's going to take the place of that type of no, boxwood I mean, the closest, in that area. I mean, Green Mountain, you know, it's more like a, it's a pyramid-shaped mm-hmm. uh, boxwood also. But I'm seeing a lot of damage on Green Mountain boxwood mm-hmm. also. So, it, you know, it, it, I still think overall, like Jim and like you were saying, but I still think overall the boxwoods are going to be okay. Now, <laughs> what does that really mean? But I okay. still think we're going to see some damage out there uh, later on. So... It's going to be interesting to watch. It is. Yeah. Okay, for the seed things. Okay, so I'll start. My thing was, um, okay, paper towels, wet paper towels. I say put seeds in there to let them germinate, see if any of them are viable. But then, and I'm thinking, I don't think they've ever done this. If they're recommending, they've never done this. After the seeds germinate, you're supposed to pick each seed off the paper towel and Stick it in a peat pot. Now, why don't you just stop that? I know. I'm not going to do that. It seems like you're going to do more damage. Unless you're doing micro greens and micro radish, you know, that you want to put in your salad. I I tell people this really, it comes down to three things. One is you got to have moisture for seeds to germinate. Okay. Mm -hmm. Easy. You have to have the proper temperature. You got to have heat. Okay. In fact, we've got this thing in a box called the germination station. Mm -hmm. It's got the, it's it's a, a flat you know, it's got the uh-huh. inserts that you put the soil in. And, and a seed starting soil is a good soil to use for starting seeds, yeah. right? And it's also got the heating mat that goes up under it. That's, that's the heat source. Um, and if, all you got to do is just keep these things moist with the proper amount of heat, and seed will germinate. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that is the key. And that's why we do them indoors, knowing that later on we can take them outside. So, you but know, it... Giving them the amount correct amount of light after they germinate after though, is they, critical. But you, they need no light whatsoever during the germination process. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think you got to get these lights and all this stuff while they're germ. No, but after they come up, Jim, you're saying 
they got to got to have strong light on them, or otherwise they're going to get elongate. Now, of course, with a tomato plant, if it gets all curly cued, you can plant the whole thing underground and ain't a big deal, <laughs> you know. But your pepper plants are not going <laughs> to respond that way. Yeah. So, so it's a bright light, you know. If it's a fluorescent light, a grow light, it needs to be twelve inches or so above mm-hmm. the tops of the plants. Yeah. Uh, if it's an incandescent, you're going to have to back off a little bit more just because of the heat. And there's so many of these, you know, these flats with the whether you have peat inserts, whether you have a plastic inserts, four packs, six packs, it doesn't matter. And you put your good lightweight soil. It doesn't have to be a seed starting soil. That's what I recommend because that's what it's for. But a good lightweight soil, put your seed in there, wet it all down. And then a lot of them even come with this, you know, plastic dome that you put on the top of it to create that little mini greenhouse effect, Mm -hmm. right? And like, you know, give them the proper time, the proper amount of moisture, and once they come up, like Jim was saying, that's when you got to really give them the light, you know. But so it's easy. What, what seeds would you need a heating element for right now? Well, you don't have to have a heating element for any of them. It mm-hmm. just speeds up the process. Because if yeah. the soil stays cold, now isn't, the seeds aren't going to germinate. Mean in the house. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. typically you see a lot of people put uh-huh. them on a heating mat or yeah. these that come with it. Top on top of the refrigerator, top of the dryer. You don't have to do any of that. It just takes longer for that seed to germinate if you don't have a heat source. That's all. Yeah. I'm thinking. For me, I know I would want it to take longer. Well, you so can put they it on that little laggy. table in front of the window yeah. there and, you know, just let the natural sun that comes through the window. That will also heat up that soil some beta. But then again, what if it's really close to getting them in the ground? Then I would like the heat. The timing. Yeah. It depends. You're exactly right. right. There's so many little things. Yeah, like I would, like you say, oh, it's just a minor soul, you know, thing. But you also need a fan sometimes. You've got the heat going. Um, well, if you're in a greenhouse environment, you you have to have mm-hmm. one. But yeah, you have to. Just in yeah. your house, you're just, you know, you're usually doing it in these mm-hmm. flats. So. You know, the fan, you don't have to have a fan mm-hmm. inside the house. But a, a lot of these growers that have these greenhouses, yeah. you better have that ventilation ready right. to go. Oh, yeah. Because you see the pre-made ones now that you can use inside where they've got the lights, the shelves, the fans, the the whole, like, the, almost like hydroponic situation. But now there's so many things to purchase to grow your vegetables indoors. And we got to do a break really quick. So if y'all... If we didn't go over something you were wondering about, just give us a call. We've still got some time. 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad y'all could join us this morning. We're on two hours and 45 minutes, and we could still talk all day, couldn't we? There's so many topics we to could, talk we about. We could make this an eight-hour program. Couldn't we? <laughs> Just got to have that lunch. Got to have that lunch. So um, you said that in your yard that you're going to be removing a lot of stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm selling my house to my son, and, mm-hmm. and he's not uh, an avid gardener. And there's some unusual things that I'm going to lift and try yeah. to move some to my daughter's house. Some I'm just going to put in containers and hang on to. And, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, Carol and I will make a decision whether or not we're going to buy a house or rent or yeah. 
stay at Christie's or whatever. So, <laughs> Your daughter's like, uh-uh. Yeah, no, actually, <laughs> she, you know, she and her and her husband are, you know, all for us staying there, you know. But I tell you what, I do remember seeing those pictures. If I, you know, if I drop dead, it's a good place for Carol. <laughs> yeah. So, right. I, so y'all have already got it worked out. That's right. Well, when you said take your plants and then decide if you're going to rent or what, I saw a meme of a face. Uh, this guy's making this face, you know, and it was like when you realize that you rent this place and you're going to have to move all 300 plants. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and I remember that's, that's the way it is in my house. I remember yeah. seeing the pictures after Jim had done, just redid his whole backyard. And I was like, my God. I mean, that mm-hmm. thing was like a oasis, you know, in the desert. Yeah. I mean, it really was. And all that work. But I just can't imagine, you know, I mean, I understand the right reasons for moving. Mm-hmm. But then leaving all that behind no. after all that work, that was, that's what would kill me. Yeah, I had a house in Texas, and I had three water gardens installed. Or, well, I'd put them in. I mean, not huge. One was, like, on the back deck where there used to be a jacuzzi there, so we turned it into a water garden. I was like, no, don't tear that down and do a water garden. The other was on the front, by the front porch, where it went down the front, uh, in front of the front porch, and then went around the corner. So I could sit on the front porch and, and have almost a surrounding pond. And the other one was in a container. And sold the house. And went by and looked again. All the water gardens were removed. And that's, like, and that's, what? And that's, Why would you do that? I was going to make a point that, mm-hmm. you know, now if like if Jim's son was an avid gardener, that's yeah. one thing. But it kind of like the same thing you're talking about, Veda. When my mother-in-law moved away from her house years ago, she would drive down the road every day and just look over <laughs> yeah. there. And every time they made a change in the landscape that she didn't own anymore, mm-hmm. oh, she would just complain and just bicker about it. I'm like, Noni, <laughs> this, there, <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. People do become passionate about mm-hmm. their the landscape. Uh, Janet Saunders texted in. She said, we had a big sinkhole like Jim was talking about and filled it with a variety of substances. One of the best that we used was kitty litter. New bags of kitty litter, not the used kind. So <laughs> she's using kitty litter to fill up, uh, which is a great idea. It's a it smaller is. particle. Right. Yeah. The smaller the particle, the more it's going to get deeper into the hole. You know, and because the roots don't all go down, that some of them come back up. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you'll get a better fill with the smaller particle. That's where I used pea gravel when I did mine, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and continue to poke it down, and and it settled some. But uh, uh, put a couple of bags of, of topsoil on top, and it uh, it's so far held. But uh, but if I was Janet, I'd flat out be using the used kitty That's litter down in those holes. Say. You know, I'd do something with it. <laughs> that would be good. Um, Let's see. We've got 10 minutes. So much to talk about that I can't even think of what we could talk about. Well, I mean, kind of a recap of what people are doing this time of year, Veda, is, you know, we talked about the pre-emergence. I mean, to me, it's just now getting time to start putting these pre-emergence down. And that's what's going to keep the weed seed from coming up, of course, later on. And we always say, regardless of when you put it down, but you want to do it before the weed seeds start to germinate. Now, crabgrass is not fixing to come up tomorrow, Hmm. okay? Yeah. But some of these early spring weeds can start to come up as soon as we start getting some warm days. And all it takes is about a week of warm temperatures and you've got weeds coming Hmm. up. So people are putting the pre-emergence down. Two, as we just talked about, people are starting to to germinate uh, some seeds indoors, you know, whether it's their favorite tomatoes or peppers or whatever. 
Um, you know, there are some really... No, we're not doing tomatoes and peppers yet. Can no, we I'm, do them now? No, no. I, st- well, I would still wait. I'd, I'd wait okay. another two weeks because they're going to be ready in about six. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd even wait till the first or second week in March mm-hmm. maybe okay. to do it because... There again, April 15th, you don't want to put anything out tender before then. And even then, sometimes the soil temperatures yeah. are not really conducive for That's some of true. these tender plants. So coming up soon, though, people will start germinating their uh, seeds uh, indoors and just kind of do the things that we talked about a while ago. And I promise you, you'll have really good success doing that. Yeah. Right now also, too, if you're going to do a drench for anything, whether it's crepe myrtle, bark scale, or pecan phylloxera, right. uh, <clears throat> any of those type things where you're going to use an imidacloprid drench, now right. is an excellent time to do it. Uh, so this there, as the sap begins to rise, it can take it all the way to the top uh, very quickly. You know, the sap's going to be rising. It's got to get to those buds to make them open. So it's a good time to, to drench uh, and if, anything that needs it. You know, I do my camellias. Starting now. About every other year on those. For the T-scale that gets on there, Jim? Yep, for T-scale. I do, um, uh, of course, crepe myrtles. I've been lucky. I think this is now the third season uh, that I've not applied. Uh, really? Yeah, and, and I'm not seeing any bark scale on them. So um, hmm. we'll, uh, we'll see. But things like hackberry. Uh, that gets the aphids so bad, uh, things like that. It's now is a good time to drench those, and it's going to control them for the entire season. Oh, I didn't think about drenching the hackberries. Yeah, because it, people want to get rid of those, oh but Lord. they're good trees. Oh, they're yes. excellent. Trees. They're beautiful I trees. Love them. Yeah. And then house plants, you know, the do's and don'ts. You know, you still want to keep your house plants moist, not wet, mm-hmm. especially this time of year. Don't overwater your house plants. Like we talked about in the first hour, you don't necessarily have to do any feeding on houseplants this time of year. They're kind of in a just kind of a uh, here I am kind of mode. <laughs> I don't want to do a lot of growing right now, so just kind of leave me alone. Give me the moisture I need, and then start feeding me when these days start getting longer in the spring. And the metacloprid is an excellent houseplant insecticide. The granules, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yes. The houseplant granules, which right. has the same product in it that we pour around our crate myrtles. And it'll give you three months at least, probably control. So mm-hmm. it's it's a great, you're, you're watering so much, you will end up taking a lot of it out and it breaks down fairly quickly. And then we also mentioned, you know, the do's and don'ts about using mulch. Don't do what I did, guys. I promise you, I <laughs> fell on the sword for everybody. Don't use soil conditioner, which is a pine find, as your mulch. It does not let moisture pass through it. I'm telling you, it is great, like Jim and Veda say, to work into our soil to break up that clay. Can't beat the product. Just don't use it as a top dressing. Use a regular mulch, if you will. And don't go crazy with the mulch either. Two or three mm-hmm. inches in that bed, yeah, it's <laughs> all you yeah. need. Two inches, of course, mulch is all you need. You know, And don't worry about pine needles. They're not going to acidify your soil. You can put them 10 feet deep. It That's, ain't going to make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pine bark is not acidic. It's actually got calcium in it. Which so is mind-boggling. That's the reason it's a good product to mix into the soil, mm-hmm. uh, whereas hardwood is it tends to be a little more acidic. But even there, it's not going to change your pH. Yeah. Your, your soil pH is very, very stable. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank goodness, because mm-hmm. otherwise yeah. we'd oh, yeah. really have a lot yeah. of messed yeah. up plants. But there Again, because our soil tends to be acidic, you really need to pay attention to boxwood, clematis, 
most roses, perennials or roses, these need to have a higher pH, and they're going to benefit by adding lime. It's the cheapest thing you'll ever do to your soil, <laughs> it and, is. You'll t- and you'll get the best results out of getting the pH correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, And you can put lime down really any day of the year. Just yes. keep in mind that typical pelletized lime, old mm-hmm. granulated lime, it takes really two or three months to really break down and start altering yeah. that pH, where the fast lime, the new technology, mm-hmm. uh, does the same thing. It just works faster. So if we want to change the color on, on our hydrangeas, then we could, we should go ahead and put lime down now. now. If you want to yep. make them pink, now's the time to do okay. it. If you want to make them bluer, a little aluminum sulfate, mm-hmm. you know, because it's the aluminum that actually chain gives you the color. Mm. All right. So uh, if you're trying to make it. Uh, bluer, the presence of the aluminum is what's going to be critical. So does magnesium sulfate really make blooms whiter? Yeah. They say that it will keep the white ones whiter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or keep them white at but least. But magnesium yeah. sulfate also enhances chlorophyll production, so it's really good to keep those leaves really green. Of course, if you read about Epsom salts, you know, it has a million different uses. Mm-hmm. But people, gardeners do use it uh, for a lot of different reasons, whether it's on vegetables, or ornamentals, even shrubs. But it does enhance chlorophyll production. Oh, this is a bummer. It's time to go. Y'all can find me at Palladio Garden in Memphis on Central. Kenneth at Dan West on Poplar. And Jim. me online at, yes. at Mid-South Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. Please join us. See y'all next weekend in the garden.